Hey, 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 Talking Joe listeners, it's Mark here with another original art special. Today we are talking to Gene Park about his original art for the complete issue of G.I. Joe 21. As always, these original art shows are very visual, so you can head over to YouTube to see the live stream with all of the original art shown on screen as we talk about it. Or you can head over to Patreon where there will be a post which has a PDF with all of the images that we're talking about. But if you're a fan of G.I. Joe, you will remember the contents of issue 21 very well. So by all means, just listen to this episode and our descriptions of the pages as we flick through them. Lots of interesting stories as to how Gene came by the art and Tim myself and Jean talking about the pages and some of the background and details uh, as we go through. So sit back, relax and enjoy the chat. Here we go. Live from the Talking Joe studios, Talking Joe. You seem normal. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to a very special edition of Talking Joe live stream where we're looking at original art. And this is it, the ultimate uh, grail piece for uh, G.I. Joe original art. It is we're talking today about issue 21 uh, and talking specifically to the uh, collector who has the issue in full. We'll be meeting him very shortly as well as my co-presenter, I'll just remind us, uh, everyone at the outset, that uh, you can leave messages for us during this live stream. So if you want to get involved, you can do that. But without too much further ado, let me introduce my co-host. It's I really want to talk to Joe with you. you. It's a real American, Tim. American, Tim. Hello, there Mark, and hello, viewers. And if you're listening to an audio version of this later, hello, listeners. But mostly, <laughs> mostly hello, viewers. Very good. How are you today, Tim? I'm well. I'm very excited to get my eyeballs on these on these grail pieces. Excellent. I think um, I'm, it might be the first like, public airing ever, so it's very, very exciting. Uh, let's meet the person who's going to tell us all about it, uh, the whole story, uh, and uh, he might know, having watched uh, previous episodes, that you come on the show, you get a jingle, here it is. <laughs> Tim is so scared. <laughs> Comic art is a preference for the habitual collector in what is known as Gene Park's Life. <laughs> oh my <laughs> that was fabulous That's, thank you <laughs> here he is the man uh gene park and you're, you're we're gathered here today to to look at the original art for uh issue 21 of uh of gi joe and uh i i've learned about it from your collection on comic art fans um, very, you know, you've got two photos on there. I think the the first page, and uh, then a collection, uh, then a sort of an assortment mm -hmm. of 
all of the pages laid out as we can see on screen and many times as i've been flicking through comic art fans i've uh, sort of returned to to that view and thought wow <laughs> that is some collection to to have so um where to begin can you sort of tell us you know uh how you got to the place where where you somehow have collected uh issue 21 in its uh it's in entirety uh, sure, sure. Uh, so I, I started collecting comics in 1983, and uh, I did not even know that original art existed until 2002 when I just stumbled across uh, an eBay listing for a uh, Mike Diodato Electra two-page splash, which I purchased. Um, and then once I had it in hand, I was like, "Wow, you can actually own a, you know original for uh, you know to 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 these comics that uh, you know I grew up with and, and loved and." Uh, so it was in 2003 when I was on eBay and I found these Larry Hama drawn Daredevil 196 preliminary pages, just pencil prelims, you know, on, on kind of very small pieces of paper, very, very loose. Um, it, that was the issue if, uh, if you were collecting around that time that uh, had an early Wolverine guest appearance, which, you know, since since the, the, the 90s, you know, the character has been overexposed really but back then you know wolverine uh uh guest appearance was a, a big deal so it was, it was a very memorable issue and i remember i ended up getting three preliminary pages uh from uh, uh on, on ebay from the issue and i'll have to check my records they were either five dollars each or fifteen dollars i mean it was a really small amount and so i found out that the seller was uh his offices were only four blocks away from where i was working and given the kind of the low cost and, and kind of proximity to it uh one of us suggested to each other hey why don't why don't i just come over you know during during lunch hour and we can settle up in in person and that's exactly what i did uh and that is how i met uh ben smith uh who was part of metropolis comics slash metropolis collectibles which is still I, I believe it's still the largest comic book dealer in the world and Ben was running kind of a side project called Gotham City Art, and he was repping Larry Hama at the time. And uh, so I, you know, I walk in, I meet Ben for the first time, and uh, you know he's got the the Daredevil prelims, and then uh, he mentions to me, "Hey, do you want to see something really cool?" And I'm like, "Well, of course, I'm I'm, I'm here. Of course, I'd like to see something." How can you cool. say no to that question? <laughs> So he goes into the back room and he pulls out, uh, you know, the complete interior 22 page story to GI Joe 21. And yeah, you know, my mind is blown at this point. I mean, it's, uh, by at this point I haven't been, I've been collecting for maybe six months, eight months, and I haven't really picked up anything really special yet. Just kind of getting my, my feet wet. And then he, he pulls this out and I was, yeah, I mean, I was stunned, and I said, you know, of course, I, I, I would love to own this, and uh, and he, I, I, I don't remember exactly what it went, but I, I think he said that, yeah, I mean, Larry is willing to to part with it, so I ended up, uh, you know, over the next you know day or two, making an offer that uh, you know, which was you know very good at the time. I mean, I remember, uh, look, I mean, the some of the trade publications, comics, the comics journal, uh, wizard ended up covering the, uh, the sale and cited as kind of a, you know, uh, I think quote a healthy five figure sum and people, 
you know, look, nowadays, given where art prices are, people can't really believe, uh, you know, that, oh, that, that, that was so low. But at the time, that is not, I assure you, that is not what people thought. Uh, I remember on uh, there was a, a mailing list uh, on, on Yahoo groups called the Comic Art L that went on for, for I think, a couple of decades. And, uh, you know, there were people on it saying, oh, my God, can you believe somebody paid five figures for, for this? I mean, that, that is that's stupid. It's insane. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I was thrilled to get it. I was glad that we could come to a price that uh, that, that made sense uh, for, for both of us at the time. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was, I think, probably the first really significant piece of published comic art that I, I purchased. I, I want to say it was around june 2003 or thereabouts and uh, yeah i've owned it ever since uh, i mean obviously uh, over the years there's been a lot of interest but i, I mean i love this uh love this love the story love the book uh you know, love the nostalgia that it evokes and so yeah I, i've never been even remotely tempted to to part with it uh and, and another reason for that is because ben smith and i actually ended up becoming very good friends. And I actually met my wife at his wedding some years later. So in a sense, G.I. <laughs> Joe 21 or the Daredevil 196 prelims, I mean, all of that kind of brought me and my wife and, you know, our, our, our now family together. So it's got a lot of meaning for me on many different levels. And um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the background story. And I was going to say, and, um, you know, obviously looking back in historical retrospect, we know, you know, we know that it's uh, an, a, a very good uh, uh, price that you would have paid no matter what that price would have been at the time. We, we can have a guess that it, it will be worth a lot more now. But um, at the time, obviously, it sounds like it, you know, it was quite a big, uh, a big chunk. So um, what was kind of the connection to this specific issue, which kind of, you know, made made you, you know, come to the conclusion that that it was it was worth paying what was a significant yeah. amount of money for this at the time. Yeah, I, I think for that, I, I, uh, like I said, I started reading and collecting comics in 1983. Now, I used to share a paper route uh, when I was a kid with a uh, and, and and a friend of mine in the summer of '83 introduced me to comics. I mean, so he gave you know gave me uh, it was mostly X Men and and Red Sonia as I recall. Uh, comics to, to borrow and, and read. And that's how I kind of got hooked on it. But uh, it took a few months later that uh, before I actually started buying them for myself and, and, and collecting comics. So the first month, cover dated month of, of issues that I bought was December 1983. Uh, the first I remember the first comics I bought were X-Men 176, uh, Red Sonia number three. And I, it was right around that. I, I, I don't remember what the the cover date of 21 was but i remember the first issue of gi joe that i bought was 20 and that's the one with um i want to say it's clutch falling out of the you know the airplane or helicopter on the cover and so issue 21 was the second gi joe story that i ever read um i want to say it was either january or march 1984 cover dated if, if i recall and so yeah i mean it was the second um second issue of the the series that i read and it look i mean it, it was something that i had never read up to that point i mean I hadn't been reading comics for very long but uh the the concept of a wordless uh you know story told you know, in in that fashion was just uh you know it was completely unique and introduced uh you know this exciting new character storm shadow and 
I remember buying a couple copies off the uh, off the uh, the comic stands, which used to have back in the day at the supermarket, no less. And um, yeah, it, it it is an issue that just stuck with me my my entire life. So when I had the chance to to buy, I knew that I didn't want to screw this up, and that I, <laughs> I, I really wanted to, to to get this. So yeah, couple follow-ups mm -hmm. so did you just say that you bought several copies of issue 21 off of a spinner rack at your grocery store uh, i I, I ended up buying two uh and actually I, I'm, I'm pleased to say that i actually still i, I got them both tg slab probably about 20 years ago unfortunately i sold one of them if the, uh, somebody out there has a copy of issue 21 i think it's graded 90 or 92 the unique thing about it is it has two covers they, uh, and at this point, I, I feel really stupid for letting it go. But uh, it's, you know, uh, I, as I got more into original art, I started letting go of some some comics and stuff. Uh, so out there somewhere is a double covered issue, CGC graded issue, you know, issue twenty one. That used to be mine, newsstand variety. And I was actually recently just looking through what I still had in terms of comics, and I, I was pleased to see that I kept the other one because I actually wasn't sure it's, it's been so long since I I've gone through my piles of comics. So but um, why, why did you buy a second copy or why did you buy two at the same time? That, that uh, feels that, unusual I, for someone who's brand new to comics. Um, I don't know why I bought two of that issue in particular, but at the time as you, as you recall, I mean, the, the, the X-Men were the, the hottest property at, at Marvel and, I remember, you know, going to my local comic shop and the, uh, you know, those those burn X-Men issues in particular were up on the wall, even even at the time uh, for, you know, 15, 20, 25 dollars, which is an astronomical sum in 1983, 84. Uh, I mean, it might as well have been, you know, 100 bucks, 200, 500,000. It, uh, you know, it's just out of reach for a, a kid like myself. Uh, so the guy, who, uh, the friend, the, kind of a couple of friends, as I mentioned, who got me into collecting, and they they were like, "Oh, well, you should be buying, you know, two copies a month of uh, of the X Men, uh, one to read, one to bag." And so I did that, and I guess for certain other special issues like GI Joe Twenty One, I did did the same thing. And 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 that you were new to comics, and that this issue was wordless. That didn't feel weird, and it didn't feel like a ripoff, because Larry Hama has has explained in interviews and at, at conventions that some letters came in after issue twenty one, right? Like at least one reader and maybe many readers either thought that this was a ripoff, right? Or I think someone, uh, you know, said like, "Oh, did the letters fall off? <laughs> like, is this is is my issue like a, a misprint, or is every right. issue a misprint?" So. So this was a cool thing, or this was like a neutral thing. This wasn't like, like strange or confusing to you. Uh, no, no, I it it was clear from the story that it was meant to to, to be this way. And obviously, you know, on the cover it says the the most unusual GI Joe story of all, or whatever. I I, look, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking then, but no, I, I did not feel cheated in any way, shape, or form. And I <laughs> I remember just thinking it was super super cool. Um, my my second follow up question is. Um, after you bought the complete art to a comic book, yeah. um, did you now consider wanting to buy the complete art to other comic books? Because people buy pages and covers. Right. People might buy like two pages in a row, certainly a double page mm -hmm. spread. But 
do you have or have you are you looking for other complete issues? Yeah, I, 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 it was more of a a one off. Uh, I mean, once I I, I bought GI Joe twenty one, I didn't immediately go out in in search of other complete books. And you know, as, as you know, most books have been broken up over the years anyway. But uh, it is really cool to own a complete interior story. I mean, uh, I rarely go to my you know, trade paperback and, and read G.I. Joe 21. I, I often, though, will pull out you know, my <laughs> portfolio with the original art in it and, and, and flip through that instead. Um, that said, over the years, I have purchased a, a number of other complete stories like I have for um, not G.I. Joe related, but I have the complete uh, Obnoxio, the clown versus the X-Men number uh, one complete interior story. Uh, I think that came out maybe 1982 or thereabouts. I have the complete Tomb of Dracula, number 25, the first uh, Hannibal King issue. Uh, I have uh, most of um, Red Sonia, number seven. Uh, and I have, uh, I've been, one of, one of my kind of lifelong projects in, in, in collecting is to try and reassemble uh, X-Men 172, uh, you know, Chris Claremont writing, Paul Smith and uh, Bob Wyacek uh, did the art on that. And that was that was the issue that uh, that hooked me into comics for good in the summer of 1983. And I've managed to acquire the cover. And I think at this point I'm up to 15 of the 22 pages. So uh, it'd be great if I'm able to complete that one day. I, I'm not really holding my breath, but that that's uh, those are pages I'm always on the lookout for. Uh, but other than those, I, I have not really sought out complete complete books. How long did you continue to read the monthly GI Joe comic? Good, good question. So um, you know, as I mentioned, I started with issue twenty uh, to the extent I could because you know GI Joe was a very hot book back then. It was tough to get uh, those early early copies because they were quite uh quite pricey uh that said they did reprint uh, i remember going to my local i think it was target they used to sell uh reprints of i think uh one two and three or two three and four or something in a in a, in a poly bag second printings uh they also did that with gi joe 21 incidentally um so I read most of the issues that I missed from 1 to 19. Um, I did get a copy of issue one, and I also had the big Marvel Treasury edition where they reprinted it. Uh, and then I read up to, I have it, I actually have it cataloged somewhere, but I, I think it was around issue 72 is when I dropped off. I mean, at that point I was, you know, in, uh, in, in high school and concentrating on academics, trying to get into college, uh, I played you know, I played uh, 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 football my last uh, American football the last couple of years. Uh, so I was a lot busier towards the kind of the second half of my high school experience. And uh, as a result, I ended up dropping a lot of comics reading during that time. And have you have you returned to G.I. Joe? Because obviously Larry Hammer has returned to to writing it. Uh, right. We were talking just before, before we start as well that you've you start getting into the the toys in a, a, a later stage of your, your life, not <laughs> having passed them by in your youth. Yes, yes. So I, I never collected the uh, the toys as a kid, but as you can see kind of up above, uh, and I have a lot more squirreled away elsewhere, uh, I started collecting the, 
the G.I. Joe classified figures. Uh, I really love, I mean, they're doing a great job with the, with the toys, the six inch figures. Um, I, I've got, I've got probably five snake eyes, one of which is loose out there on a stand. <laughs> you can see, uh, so I'm enjoying that. I enjoyed the cartoon as well, of course, back in the day. Um, in terms of going back to the comics, I did pick it up again when Devils Do uh, started publishing their series in, I forget when it was, like 2003 maybe or thereabouts. Uh, I, pick, I, I read that for a while, um, but then I, I dropped off and, you know, I, I kind of just being involved in uh, uh, adult you know, career stuff and stuff just got, just got busy and didn't really pick it up. I know I, I, I've heard that, you know, Larry's come back and I've heard of all these interesting projects that they've done um, over the, over the years, but uh, I haven't really uh, explored that as of yet. Okay. Should we get into having a look at this thing? Sure. Uh, so I know uh, let's, uh, let's tantalize the, the viewers uh, with a little sneak preview. Cause I think you've got the issues, uh, the, the pages to hand. So yeah. let's have a, a quick look just to see it in the, in the flesh. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, oh wow. wow. There's the splash page. Storm shadow jet packing in uh with scarlet in tow. Wow. Excellent. There, there's there's probably nothing interesting on the backs of any of the pages. Uh, there is, uh, I, as I was taking them out of the portfolio, there there is one Snake Eye sketch on one of them, uh, oh, wow. which okay. I'll like I could show you that. But uh, I think there was just well, the one page. This this might be uh, probably everyone watching this knows, but just in case, right? This issue um, was running late, and so Hama said. Uh, to the editor, uh, you know, if I can sort of write and kind of draw this issue at the same time, we can save a lot of we can save a lot of time because I can draw. And when I write comics, I'm really just seeing pictures in my head. And mm -hmm. um, uh, thank you to Mark for for uh, for continuing this this correction. Right, the uh, I'm, I'm interrupting myself. Right, the the cover to GI <laughs> Joe the cover to GI Joe 21 is penciled by Ed Hannigan. It's not penciled by Larry Hama. Right, uh, we know that for logically because if the issue was behind schedule, Hama would not have done breakdowns for 22 pages and also a cover. They would have definitely given that to someone else <laughs> to save time. Uh, Hannigan was doing a lot of covers for Marvel at the time, and uh, also uh, though the initials in the bottom corner of this cover are really hard to read, uh, they are Hannigan's initials and they are not Hama's issues, though it uh, initials, though it kind of looks like that. Um, so uh, famously, Hama said, um, uh, why don't I'll make it a, a wordless story. We'll get someone to finish right to, to ink uh, my breakdowns, uh, who's who's really good and fast. And by not having it lettered, we'll save three days. Uh, and so this was done uh, to get the book back on schedule. This, this, yeah, was, so, this was so not they, done because Hama was thinking, how can I creatively innovate and do something <laughs> that Marvel hasn't done before, right? Hama did do that later, uh, now and then with G.I. Joe and, and other uh, projects. But this was really, how can I change or simplify this object so that it is faster to make? 
I think well, the well, idea of this silent issue had been brewing in his head as as well. So sort of creatively, it was lurking in the background that he felt like a lot of things were overwritten. There was too much text on the page and what should be a visual uh, medium. So I think that idea was percolating there and it sort of came together with this instance where they're behind schedule and they just need to make it up. And this is, you know, the, that idea combined with the with this sort of store, uh, the, the time saving device um, sort of came together. So so he uh, sort of rec- recalling the, the, the story, um, you know, exactly what happened. Who, who knows? But but it, as Larry tells it, that, that Denny O'Neill, the editor, had a chaotic desk and <laughs> uh, something got lost or disorganized or whatever. And they needed to do a, a new issue. It would normally have a lead time of about three months. They needed it in three weeks. So um, he thought, if I can write it and pencil it together, then there's sort of those that that time saving. Uh, so he's doing the the, the breakdowns. And uh, apparently he wrote, wrote it and drew it together over the course of a weekend, sort of starting Friday and, and handing it in on Monday. It was then FedExed over to Steve Lealoa in San Francisco. Uh, and then it was coloured as the pages came in and then they, they saved the, the time uh, on, the, on the lettering. And it could be justified from the fact that, you know, they wanted it to be silent with no letters, uh, it, it was Snake, uh, Snake Eyes, who's a silent character on a stealthy mission. Uh, and also, you know, in, it, that idea of trying to avoid the, the um, lettering fed into the storytelling. So, for example, setting it in just one place and then you don't need to have the captions establishing where, uh, where things, uh, things are. And I'll add one last uh, a bit of context. Hama had drawn storyboards and illustration and cartoons for uh, continuity, uh, Neil Adams' studio, also in New York, uh, and he'd been published in magazines and newspapers. And so, uh, you know, we think of him mostly as a comics writer, but he'd already drawn comics for Marvel and other publishers, and he had drawn a lot of stuff. And if you're an illustrator, right, the whole point of, I mean, the definition of illustration is a drawing that, te- uh, a drawing that tells a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and as as a um as a sort of visual storyteller he he describes it that when he's writing he's just describing the pictures that he can already see in his head so instead of writing that as a script he can just you know put those down as, as drawings that that already exist in his uh, his mind gene sorry you wanted to oh yeah i mean back back to the point about uh, kind of the, the inspiration or the logistics behind this i i it was always my impression or i had heard that uh, Larry was kind of riffing for, uh, off of the, I think the opening four or five page sequence of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, number one, which is a wordless um, infiltration by Nick Fury into, uh, I think it's Hydra headquarters or whatever, uh, back in issue one from 1968, and I, I, I thought that that was kind of the inspiration for it, and that he, you know, wanted to flesh it out over a whole whole book, so. I don't know if that was part of what was percolating in his, in his head um, a, a, in terms of the idea, basis for, for a wordless issue to begin with. And then just the timing date deadline circumstances is what kind of propelled that forward. Or, I mean, do you know any more about that or? I've heard him talk about Storenko's sequence in that shield story. Right. And it's, it's a three page 
think it, I think it may only be three pages. Okay. Um, but uh, I haven't heard him go into any more uh, detail than that. But you know, anyone who was paying attention to comics in the '60s and '70s was aware of this small but amazing body of work that Steranko did at Marvel on X Men and Shield. Um, so yes, you are you are uh, that is that is definitely part of this mix. And thank you for bringing it up. Okay, okay. So I just wanted to make sure it wasn't. Uh apocryphal or a urban legend or anything uh, it was actually part of his thinking yeah i've got a i've got a follow-up question for for both of both of you um do do you know if this cover exists out there somewhere in the wild and and gene have you sort of tried to track it down and reunite it with its uh, brother pages yes i i have definitely tried to track it down uh i mean as far as i know larry doesn't have it I, after I learned that Hannigan was actually the, the penciler on the cover, I, I reached out to him. I never heard back. Uh, I believe I asked uh, Klaus at a, at a show some years ago, and, you know, no luck there either. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of the uh, the G.I. Joe art is just nobody knows where it is. Um, you know, it, look, it may be that somebody uh, has it and just doesn't want to show it, uh, hoping to reunite it with the rest of the story one day which i i, I don't know um but i i've never heard any confirmation of its uh existence i have not either uh i know that a later gi joe cover was given to a hasbro employee mm. and i have wondered now and then if you know a small handful of other covers that art collectors haven't been able to place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are you know, like on a wall in Rhode Island with some like former Hasbro <laughs> marketing or uh, designer person. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where this one is. I, I mean, obviously, this is the, the, the cover that uh, I would love the, the most. Um, um, I know a lot of people love the, the number two cover. I don't think that one has. Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe that one has surfaced. That I one. That one got scanned because uh, wasn't what uh, IDW used that oh, yeah. for the cover for the uh, right. art, for the artist right, edition right. that didn't happen. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, you're right. I think Chuck, I think Chuck was in touch with uh, Chuck Costas, who was on a previous uh, podcast. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he mentioned that he had tracked that one down. Um, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn because I, I know some people have talked about it now on the. Uh, CGC forums, uh, you know, it's a big comic book, comic art, uh, a chat board, that the G.I. Joe 1 cover surfaced, uh, I want to say maybe two years ago. Um, I was very interested in it because I, I know the, the, the dealer who brokered it, but apparently what, what, what I was told is that it was promised to some, to wh whoever bought it. So um, unfortunately, I didn't really get a, a, a chance to to, to go for it. And I, I know Chuck would have loved to have it as well. And as would a lot of, a lot of other people, but, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that one did, uh, that one did turn up apparently. Let's look at page one, Mark. Okay. Well, before we get to page one, it's not quite as impressive uh, as Jean's collection, but here's something from my own collection. Uh, on the left is a Larry Hammer original uh, sort of breakdown style recreation 
of uh, the 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 first, what's issue twenty twenty one that he didn't actually get to draw at the time, and on the right is a Guillermo Ortego inked version of that sketch, uh, and you'll you'll notice there's you know subtle and not so subtle differences in the in the pose, so it's it's not a um, you know line for line recreation by any means, but um, it's uh, yeah something fun from uh, my own collection. Wow, that's great. That's a that's a nice uh, that's a nice. It's not icing on the cake because that it's a nice icing in the cake before the cake. <laughs> Is it cake? Cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. Okie dokie. Here we go. Page one. And for these slides, I've got the colored version side by side. And importantly, the... you have the colored version as originally printed on newsprint and not the. Um, yeah. Di digital chameleon. No, 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 uh, no. Digital chameleon did a wonderful job reseparating issues one through fifty for the Marvel softcover paperbacks back in two thousand two, and IDW uses those files for classic GI Joe softcovers one through five and um, uh, co complete collection hardcovers one, two, and three. It is issues fifty one and up. Uh, uh -huh. where they're using um, full saturation on colors and it it doesn't it doesn't um, quite match to my eyes mm -hmm. yeah um, I'll, I'll say that yeah the coloring is very faithful um, in, ter in terms of those trade paperback reprints it, it just doesn't quite um, aesthetically match when it's on the glossy paper as right. to, you know to, to the news newsprint it just while you know, the colors are basically the same. It just doesn't quite feel uh, the same. What really jumps out at me here is the uh, the two bits of mountaintop on the top right of the cover mm, on either yeah. side of the tallest uh, Cobra Tower where um, Hama and Lealoha are just indicating this mountain in the distance. And one... Um, the colorist is going to uh, create that color hold where the color of the mountain meets the color of the sky and they're not divided by a black line. And two, um, the shadow, the, sh the shading on those, on that mountain in the, in the distance indicates that this mountain is underlit and that, that matches the light, the, the inking on the castle where all the stipples, right, to the lower left of uh, Storm Shadow's foot, and then under the right side of the right, under the under the right wing of the jetpack. Um, all these directional lines are indicating that the light source for this page is either the Cobra Claw itself or something in front of it, hmm. right? But much of the castle is the, all the castle that's on the top half of the page is is lit from below. And even if the coloring doesn't, I mean, nowadays you would like, you'd render that with, with a gradient. You'd have like dark orange at the top and light orange in the bottom. Uh, and that's not happening in the colors here because the inking is doing that job for it. But I, I'm always fascinated by the green, the light green in the sort of center right of this page because it, it feels like it glows. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's something else that is illuminating uh, between the mountain that is closer all the way on the right, which has this uh, like more like 50% green, and then the, the further back mountain, which has more of a 25% green. 
Uh, and of course, oh, I find it twenty-five percent green is not a real thing because that's a percentage of yellow and blue. But anyway, <laughs> um, here's here's a shorthand. And Larry describes, you know, drawing this uh, in. Um, uh, uh, what was it Cur- curvilinear like, perspective? Cur- curvilinear perspective. Um, so that and with no straight lines because you know organically our eye is a, a, a you know a ball. We don't really in real life see the the curved lines, and you wouldn't. You wouldn't necessarily guess that just to look at this quickly that, that these lines uh, aren't, you know, dead on, dead on straight. Um, and this Wait. is the only. Pl- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, th- and this is the only place in this issue where we get to see the full uh, castle, um, you know, top to top to bottom. So, mm-hmm. sort of really establishing very clear kind of bold shapes to to establish where in the castle we we are that we've got these you know bold cobras up the very top of it we've got two radar dishes to the sides uh and they are distinctly different radars uh we've got the you know these battlements up here with the you know the up and downs uh we've got one set of small windows and one set of tall windows and uh coat and storm shadow on his on his claw is going in this direction <laughs> into that uh <laughs> middle window um we've also got some stuff in there in in here we've got uh the the rockets and uh and a gun emplacement there which uh, larry Describes as including, uh, you know, putting in stuff that might be useful for the story later on, but uh, but doesn't actually see uh, see usage in this particular story. But um, many 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 years later, when uh, when we return to the scene of the uh, Silent Castle, uh, they do actually become quite key storytelling, you know, points in terms of uh, defending it from uh, from the Joes who are coming down this mountain path in that direction so uh you know the groundwork laid you know in in 1983 no 84 uh sort of yeah you know paying off almost 10 years (laughs) later and what was that story that uh where they return i I don't remember at this point it's during the this was during the uh, andrew wildman run right that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Destro is back at uh, sort of as a solo agent and mm. back in in his in his castle, and uh, Cobra aren't having any of it. Uh, so so sort of uh, Joes are coming in almost to, to sort of defend um, defend uh, Destro. Destro. Um, the other interesting observation I was going to mm. put around the. Uh, this silent castle is that it was based uh well in, inspired by uh by the cobra temple and apparently the story behind that is that larry was visiting uh, sunbow entertainment and uh you know was looking over the shoulder of storyboard artist george foster uh good and uh and caught a glimpse of this so uh, i think sort of uh, that played into the the thinking for for the design of this particular uh, for for the castle. So not not direct, but you can kind of see the influences, particularly on the on this you know top section there of uh, the the castle. And you wouldn't have seen the animated version; it would have been a, an early design. We should uh, we should credit the the person who who 
who discovered that. That comes from Mark Baloma, right? That's, yeah, so uh, so I'm lifting that bit of intel from Mark Balomo's introduction uh, to the 30th anniversary edition of the Silent Interlude. Thanks. Wow. So uh, this is one of those rare cases where uh, the the comic is influenced by the show and otherwise, uh, yeah, you know, H Hama and and the people working on the comic were not in any contact with the people working on the show and, and Hasbro wasn't necessarily encouraging that Hasbro was just making toys and wrangling a show and separately <laughs> wrangling a comic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Larry was, Larry says that he, you know, he's, he's done, he wasn't watching the cartoon and, and hasn't still hasn't to, today really watched the, the cartoon. So um, there, the, there wasn't too much uh, sort of direct inspiration from, uh, you know, from the cartoon back into, uh, into the, I, I think that my, my other comment about this page is that we're so this 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 comic book is an institution now. It's something that non GI Joe fans know about, and you know I think there are like articles or or the occasional sort of book you know like famous comic books or important stories to know about, and uh, this issue sometimes makes that kind of list, even mm -hmm. though no issue of G.I. Joe is going to get that kind of recommendation from, you know, a comics journalist or a blogger who's not right. paying attention to G.I. Joe. And um, uh, this page invites you in. Like this this page, you know, at, I mean, Marvel, it was pretty standard in the 80s that the first page of a Marvel comic would be a full play, page splash. Um, there are some later issues of G.I. Joe where the first page has several panels and then pages two and three are a double page splash with the title and credits. Um, but um, this is not a glamor shot of, uh, you know, story. if this was a Marvel book in 1966, it would probably have a full page drawing of Storm Shadow, like a kicking at snake eyes. And it would right. say like, low gentle reader, what is this betrayal by someone from his past? Read on to discover, right? Right, um, right. This is not, you know, like this is such an exciting, this is an amazing, exciting page. Um, it's not a full body shot of someone up close. It's not a pinup that mimics a cover. Right. Um, and it's not like a story continuity page with lots of different things happening, but embedded in it, uh, in the layout, right, like your eyes led to that um, center uh, window that we're going to go through. Um, you immediately wonder, like, who the passenger is. Um, we haven't seen this castle before in, in comics. Um, we haven't seen this vehicle before, right, Mark, mm. in comics? I think I think you're right. I think this might be the first appearance, yeah. Everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh, Silent Interlude, first appearance of Storm Shadow in the comics. Also, I think. <laughs> let, us, let us know in the comics, comments if I'm wrong, internet. But, um, uh, you know, Storm Shadow has just flown past us, and, and I feel like if this were a film, the camera would also be pushing in a little bit uh, to, to follow, right? This, this question, uh, this, this drawing brings us in. Yeah. Um, and the you know the blue and the pink and the purple in the background are so striking against the orange and the green uh, and the blue. And you know I, I've said when I talk about coloring in comics and sometimes inking, uh, less is often more. And this page is is gorgeous and utterly clear. And that comes from like great composition, careful placement of blacks, and just like 
nine colors. It's like you don't need like 900 colors to make this page better. Page two. Thanks. Push on. Page two. Here we go. It's uh, Storm Shadow coming in through that center window, which, uh, as originally published, was white with the two other windows being blue. Um, I think that gets corrected in the modern uh, modern editions. One Tim? of two one of two coloring mistakes in this in this mm. comic. Um, speaking of color, right? This is another one of those cases where something that I love about comics from the 30s to the 80s is that uh, for clarity and for visual variety, um, yellow and orange and pink are often slapped on as a background element, right? So there's three panels on the bottom. Um, I don't know that I believe that the floor is actually yellow, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because right. the yellow is to set off against the blue and the orange. And similarly, the orange in the panel of him of, of him landing on the left and him drawing his sword on the right, you know, like that's not literal. That's not the color of the wall. We've, we've already seen the color of the wall is sort of white uh, stone. Uh, this is to create a pattern of variety on a page. And, um, you know, with 16 million colors in Photoshop, this kind of treatment does not frequently occur to comics colorists because it's like, oh, well, the wall's like light stone gray. I can make it light stone gray or I can take a photo of stone and put it in the background. Um, and, you know, I, people might say like, oh, it's old school. I just think it's awesome. I, I, <laughs> I, I completely agree because I, I have been reading this story again as original art. I've got the, uh, the, the trade paperback version with the, you know, that's been re recolored. And I've also, you know, read it digitally on my on my tablet. And so th this is the first time, maybe since the 80s or early 90s, that I'm actually seeing it in this form. And wow, I mean, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. I mean, it, it difference. It is just so much vi more visually striking and interesting than than what you see in the, uh, the, the, the trade paperback and digital versions these days. Comics that were drawn for the limited palette of four color printing, comics that were drawn for 64 colors really don't want like 900 colors or 16 million colors. Um, yeah. Uh, what we see on this, sorry. Was, go for it. I was gonna say what we see on this, this page as well as kind of the beginnings of uh, Larry using some very effective visual storytelling to, uh, to mean that he can draw less <laughs> effectively. So we've got a panel up here, which has got a more elaborate background, mm -hmm. the Cobra sigil, the, you know, storm shadow flying through the braziers. Uh, but even here, it sort of hints at, uh, uh, you know, sa saving time, but, you know, but describing so much more. So we just got all of the tops of these, uh, these Cobra troopers down, mm -hmm. down here on the bottom of that panel, uh, just, you know, uh, drawing those half, you know, circles, uh, to you know, hint at the the army stood in front of Cobra Commander, and then once he once he's done that, we're not needing to see background in absolutely every single panel. You know, as, and, as you said before, we can just have a and, flat color. And this large panel, panel two of Storm Shadow coming in through the window, um, that's drawn in one point perspective, which is really easy. And also, there's very little linear perspective. There's just a little bit on those two uh, uh, brazers. 
Um, but we're just looking straight at this wall. Imagine whatever the shape of this room is. Imagine if the camera, quote unquote, was placed in one of the high corners where the wall meets the ceiling and it looked down at the whole room and you'd see the whole room, not as a, with a, like a square floor, but in perspective is like a diamond floor or a trapezoid and walls. And again, as Mark says, lots of, lots of people. Um, this is, this is not, uh, all of this, none of this is, is, uh, lazy, right? Like you've seen, you know, you've seen comic stories where like, there's a lot of detail. And then at the end of the issue, there's much less detail or, um, you know, like suddenly a bunch of stuff is in silhouette uh, or backgrounds drop out, or maybe there are no backgrounds. Right. This is all very carefully and smartly chosen and designed. And that second panel, that's not like, oh, this guy's trying not to draw a bunch of guys with full bodies in perspective. This is, it just ends up being this really bold composition of this diagonal slash through this panel with this round circle behind it. And you know, who's important, right? The guy flying the thing and the guy standing under him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the symmetry of it is, is, um, is striking. The other, the other story that I've heard about, about this is that a lot of the uh, panel breakdowns were drawn in, in, in advance, either, I'm not sure if inter- interpretation either at the very beginning before, you know, necessarily the, the page has been planned out or even kind of right at, you know, before when faced with the, the stack of the 22 pages, um, you know, I'm, ge- I'm going to lay out uh, absolutely every page. You know, uh, sorry, panel, you know, put the panels in, into place for absolutely every single one of these uh, uh, pages. So it's like the, the the panels kind of dictating a lot of, uh, you know, what can fit in there to a degree. Yeah, if I can if I can rephrase that a little bit, uh, Hama would draw a rectangle. Like, okay, well, this is going to be a tall, skinny rectangle, or this this panel is going to be a bigger square, or I'm going to have three rectangles next to each other, and they're each going to be tall and skinny, right? And and these shapes would tend to suggest a certain composition or a certain amount of story and a certain rhythm of pacing. So yes, mm-hmm. Mark, that's that's a that's a good reminder. And that, you know, either you're incredibly lucky if you sort of throw that out there and then stumble your way through it, or um, you just have a very embedded and developed sense of visual storytelling, of composition, of, you know, drawing characters and anatomy and acting. Because um, this is all a kind of problem solving. This isn't just like, can I do this really, really fast, right? Because not anybody, but more people could just like stay up all night and like draw this a lot, the sort of the hard way and like get the issue out, a version of the issue out on time. I was just, uh, I was just craning my head to see what, what the text on the, on the right says. It says Cobra Commander on pedestal. Because uh, I guess that's the fun of seeing the original art is, <laughs> is all of the little things that are written in the, uh, in the margins. The margin, and then yeah. in retrospect, trying to, figure out what on earth they might mean i guess I think, that one uh i think it's more obvious but i think yeah i think hama's saying these three guys it's the top one in the center who's this very particular guy mm-hmm. uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah because it's it's drawn as a breakdown so so it's uh Le- leola um filling in the details i guess for the for the character hey next up Again, these are a lot of these are straight on angles, and 
you know, you learn, I don't know, if, if, you, if you're a kid who likes to draw and you're the kid in, in class who draws really well, somewhere around seventh or eighth grade or in high school, you sort of learn this lesson that drawing things straight on is boring or flat or lazy and that you need to, uh, to use a film term, like move the camera around and draw like you know, upshots and downshots and angles and, um, and sometimes in comics and, and in movie posters and in illustration, sometimes a straight on angle is the clearest or is the most bold and direct. And, you know, this third panel right here, like if for those of you who can, who are looking at me right now, like you could have Cobra Commander, you know, like get my, my hands into the shot, like, like what? You could have him in contrapposto, you know, you could have him at a, like his arms could be up. Um, that one, that might not be sort of his his acting style. He, you know, he's the guy in charge. He's going to be more restrained. Um, but two, um, you know, this is this is this is. I'm just going to keep saying the B word over and over. Uh, this is bold, right? And 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 look at the storytelling in panel two, right? Um, Scarlet's got one eye closed with a black eye. She's sort of surprised, but she's not worried. She's not fearful having one just been kidnapped two just been flown in a bag three not know where she is four oh my gosh here's cobra commander five the bag just got chopped off me with a sword right like the 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 levels of fun and cool here are so layered and embedded like we forget half of them it's like oh yeah the the, the wordless issue with gi joe like no this ninja just didn't like serrate scarlet and but again look at the storytelling here <laughs> storm shadow is looking back at us in panel two right so panel two is is point of view from cobra commander mm -hmm. he's looking at us she's looking at us we're cobra commander and then hama lines up um storm shadow's eye line with cobra commander's eye line in the next panel which creates a little visual link and that may have been on purpose or that may have just been sort of good instincts running in the background and he's he's mixing it up as well because we've got the you know as you say the sort of the more dead on uh, angles but then you know in panel four mixing it up every you know every page we're gonna be be sort of doing a more complicated thing alongside a more straightforward thing so we've got the the down angle from from Cobra Commander and then uh, looking up as they're descending uh, descending down these these stairs and the the sort of the the design the you know the the sorts of the simple design of each of these locations so that we can keep on returning back to them without being told we're back in the dungeon we're back up in the top of the castle is is just so so genius we've just got these you know little cues we you know we've got the uh the, the almost the manhole cover that that we keep on returning to we've got the staircase with a circular uh you know top to it you know distinguishing it from any of the other staircases we see we've got the a light bulb there and, and so when we're cutting back to that you know it's it's immediately obvious where we're returning to and similarly in this this last panel as well um larry is able to save himself a bunch of time by much more easily showing us the the top of the the castle that's already been established on on page page one um you know we know where it is we're looking up and we you know getting the hint at this hercules uh um plane drawn in all in silhouettes, um, you know. Don't ha don't have to draw the, the the a huge hulking uh, 
you know, playing in perspective with every single uh, detail coming coming off it as it's uh, introduced. Mark, can you zoom in on the final two panels here? Because yep. we're going to keep saying like, oh, the story, the layout, uh, this is so great. You know, Larry Hama this, Larry Hama that. Um, and I will admit, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at picking out um, a bunch of inkers for their style. And I've, I've never quite sort of figured out uh, how to identify uh, Steve Lealoa's inking style, even though here it is right in front of me. Um, and, uh, you know, that hatching and cross hatching in this middle panel here, uh, that the two cobras on the bottom are, are underlit from this circular hole uh, in the floor. And then once again, in the final panel, right, this Cobra temple is, is underlit. Um, so, you know, we can, I'll talk about the color and the paper a lot, right? We can talk about the acting and the storytelling and the poses and the layout and the compositions. Um, you know, this, this wouldn't have worked with uh, a less talented and fast not just inker, but uh, finisher. So, you know, Hama gets mm -hmm. like 89% yep. of the credit for this issue. Um, but as you, you know. as you say, you know, Hama's responsible there for the, you know, the acting, the storytelling, the, the, the layout, but the, you know, the finishes are, are Leola and, and all of the, all of this detail in the, the inks, that, that great inking in, in the tower on the bottom, bottom on the bottom right, you know these this sort of stippled you know black lines sort of coming down from the uh from this archway um that that's all going to be um leola so um yeah it it is yeah it, it looks great and uh that will be in large part due to the fact that this is uh a team to to produce the the, the finished art and there are you know there are inkers who i mean there are inkers who would have done a good job with this but it would not have been as pretty or it would not have been as specific. I mean, the, the 1980s at Marvel, there's a, there are dozens and dozens of examples of comics that were drawn or finished uh, under a terrible deadline burden that, you know, are like legible, but not great, but they sure got the comic out. Right. And, <laughs> And this one, they sure got the comic out, and it's not just legible; it is great, and then it's uh, super famous. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll flip on to the next page. We've got uh, the, the Hercules up the top in in more detail, and uh, then Snake Eyes uh, making his leap. Um, and I think I've got a couple of the panel details here. Yeah, so his Snake Eyes in all of uh, his glory uh, with all of the the Deer, uh, the gear kitted out and you know when you're zoomed in at this close as well you can see quite how uh i guess little I'm, I'm trying to think of the correct word but quite how you know how much can be done in the storytelling versus how m little is is kind of actually on the page for that hercules as it's kind of making its mm -hmm. uh way of you know into into the distance economical I, I feel like in this era of decompressed storytelling that we've been in in comics for I don't know how long it's been 20, 20 odd years that pages like this uh, I mean I've seen other page, uh, many other pages that look and are laid out like this but back in 1984 you didn't really see pages laid out like this you know where you know you had 
the action moving along incrementally and kind of symmetrical panels. I mean, you had a few artists like, I mean, Frank Miller did some similar stuff with Daredevil. If you go back, uh, you know, Crickstein you know, at, you know, EC and stuff. But um, yeah, in kind of mainstream Marvel, you didn't really see this kind of layout much, at least not that I can, that I can recall. Mm -hmm. That that's a great point. Uh, Kriegstein was Hama's teacher. Oh, he was. I didn't even know that. Um, yeah, uh, high school. Wow. But um, Mark, can you go back one slide to just the comparison? Because um, Gene, this is a really good point. In this most unusual GI Joe story ever, this is probably <laughs> this is probably the most unusual GI Joe page, because. Uh, so in, in his book, Understanding Comics, Scott McCloud refers to six different kind of panel transitions, right? It's moment to moment, aspect to aspect, scene to scene, and three others. Uh, and he has examples for sort of what they are and what they mean. And, uh, and this is moment to moment. And, you know, we might have like three panels in a G.I. Joe story where someone's like very slowly um, reloading their gun or like, they're like jumping and putting their sword away while they're like taking the pin off a grenade. And then in the next panel, they're flipping and letting go of the grenade. And then the next panel, they're on the other side of the wall and they're safe as the grenade blows up the bad guy. Uh, but yes, this is, I mean, visually, you know, there's, there's nothing in the background, purple, 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 purple. Um, but uh, I, I would, I would put a burst on this page. I would just comp the burst from the cover, right? Like the most unusual GI Joe page ever. <laughs> of all of all time uh there's also a really uh there's also a really nice arc if you track snake eyes from panels two to five there's a there's a curve as he goes just a little to the left and then more to the right which helps to lead your eye from left to right which not every panel and not every page has to do and in in terms of leading our eye as well sort of we've got snake eyes you know yeah. heading directly down towards the the castle uh you know there's no doubt where he's he's going and i think i've zoomed in on the castle again so much <laughs> storytelling there and when you're zooming right in there is you know so few lines hmm. it's uh, you know and it's just like these 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 lines here it's like wow you know it's it's just dots at this at this point yeah, yeah, and and those dots barely the ones that aren't within the sort of confines of the of the castle itself they barely even show up on the printed page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the first things I noticed when I when I saw the art in person was the the economy of, of, of line. You don't really expect it, but when you hone in on it, like you've shown up here, uh, yeah, you really see that how much they've done with so so little. Yeah. Okay, we're down in the Oubliette dungeon. Uh, we've got uh, the famous, the famous miscoloring mistake in the bottom right-hand corner. Let's uh, call it out. So, uh, um, Storm Shadow has leapt up. He's replaced the the, the manhole cover, uh, and that is why uh, uh, then um, Scarlet is left in the dark um, and and has been recolored to to fix that uh, mistake in the most uh, recent. Where you uh, want to put, you want to pull me full screen? Go on, let's do it, Tim. Uh, okay, there we go. solo. There we go. 
Uh, okay. Uh, there so. we go. There's the, the recolored version. All one color. Okay. Um, the um, this 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 dungeon is such an unusual idea because uh, it's this it's like a it's like a semi it's like half of a globe, right? Like the that ladder, the the sort of um, staples in the first panel that are above um, Storm yeah. Shadow. Those those are on the wall, but those those like curve away. Like you you. If you if you had your arms on the top ones, you would just be hanging. You wouldn't <laughs> yeah. like you wouldn't be able to like, unless you had like hooks uh, coming up from your toes, right? Like elf shoes. Um, and I love the idea here that uh, you know this may actually be something historical. Like Hama reads a lot and knows a lot about uh, you know uh, government and politics and military history so there may be some you know castle or um military base somewhere some when where it's like oh yeah they put their prisoners in these the top half of a the negative space of a sphere um but um th this feels this feels really visual in the way that uh a dungeon for the chiajo animated series would feel really visual in a way that i feel like when the Joes are captured by Cobra in the comics, it's not anything so uh, fantastical so as, as a visual like location. Like the brainwave scanner as a device is fantastical, but like it's still just like a chair that you strap into. And this is this weird, like, can you scroll down a little bit, uh, Mark? Um, so they're on this like post and then there's water, right? And it's like, you know, does does it fill up with water? Um, does does all the water from the castle, like when it rains, does the water drain down here? If you leave someone there, are they going to drown? Um, I was when I first read this issue, uh, I didn't I didn't have all these questions actively running in my head, but I think in the back of my mind, I knew that there were lots of ways to die in this space <laughs> and, right. and like storm shadow was such a badass and cobra are the bad guys and like scarlet has got to get out of there soon and what's what's interesting is where when you're zooming up this close you can really see sort of some of the i guess the remnants of the tools being being used that up near the top of scarlet's head you can i think make out some pencil there which would mm -hmm. be from from larry's original breakdowns so you can see a difference in the you know, in the darkness of the of the black, uh, there's this the the plaster is sort of somewhat more more faded, which is probably mm -hmm. just the you know the colours changing over over time. So so that's been sort of done in a you know obviously a, a different medium to to some of the the rest of it. And we've got I guess hints at something that's a bit drier. I don't know if that's maybe I don't know. Is it dry brush or or potentially charcoal or something? And we've also got hints of white in there as well, a bit of white out mm -hmm. creating sort of extra extra texture in the uh, in the uh, in the hair. What does it look like to to you in person, Gene? Does, does do you think that there's sort of charcoal or or pencil or dark dark black pencil or something like that in some of these uh, instances? Particularly, I think when uh, yeah, Scarlet's hair is being coloured. Um, yeah, I can't really, really tell. 
yeah the, the, the the plaster is definitely a different medium I, I can't tell if it's ballpoint or very thin thin marker i think it might, the, be, it might be ballpoint i think the pen sorry i think the band-aid is a pen with uh like not a regular india ink mm. i think that that ink is sort of more likely to fade yeah. faster yeah. I think yeah everything about her hair is like regular india ink for inking right. Yeah. And I'm not great at uh, picking out brush versus uh, like crowquill pen, um, but her hair I think is brush, and mm -hmm. her bandaid is I think like regular pen, maybe not even fancy drawing pen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know something else that you uh, you know I, I I'm thinking about. <clears throat> old comics versus modern comics. And, you know, for all my complaining about modern coloring, there are there are many co colorists in modern comics who do really gorgeous work that I love and I will like keep or show to people. Um, it's just that there are also many colorists in modern comics who don't have those abilities uh, and I think are sort of overwhelmed by Photoshop. But yeah. um, something else that has changed besides the style and the tools for coloring or the style for inking like nowadays in comics um all these lines can you zoom back into panel three i guess panel two and three mark um you know nowadays a lot of artists would not ink the lines on storm shadows costume in that third panel the way that they are inked here uh and many artists would not ink uh, Scarlet's hair the same way. I think a lot of artists would leave those blank and let the colorist yeah, yeah. do the work. It's like, oh, well, there's a highlight. So that's going to be red and like an orange or a yellow or a white highlight mm -hmm. or like a red gradient that becomes orange. Whereas here, it's like, this is just going to be like percentage of uh, yellow and a percentage of cyan that makes like a dull orange. Um, and uh, And similarly, you know, I, I feel like in the last hundred issues when storm shadow shows up the shading on him when done in color it's not done with a light blue as it is on this page as it would be in comics of the 60s and 70s and 80s mark if you want to go back to the, the comparison slide um like this light blue that's acting as a shadow for storm shadow's white costume yeah like i don't look at this and think like oh is storm shadow half is this costume like half white and half blue did he fall into blue ink or did he fall into blue paint <laughs> my, my brain like reads this properly it's like no that light blue is acting as a shadow yes. for the white even though um based on like the yellow light above them that's not necessarily what the color of the shadow would be like nowadays you do that in gray or like mm -hmm. a, a brown or something and uh and i really like this look yeah I, i'm also noticing here and in, in the uh in the inks uh, the detail of the inks which yeah, sort of come across better uh, will come across you know you can pick up the finer details on the original page uh, you know uh, the skill here employing uh being employed to show storm shadow screaming in pain as he, his thumb <laughs> is being bitten uh underneath a mask um yeah you know it's uh, it yeah. that takes that takes some uh drawing chops mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. as a comparison every single time that anyone has drawn deadpool uh mm. like saying something or smiling or like making this open mouth in in marvel comics in the last 15 years i thought well, that's not what masks do <laughs> and here 
here, Mark, you're absolutely right. Like, okay, this fabric, this ninja, like those, those like 15 or 20 little thin lines. Yes. That's, that's what fabric does. That's like, I, I see that mouth. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Okie dokie. Uh, next up. Okay, here we are up in uh, Destro's study room. This is those smaller windows that were established on the opening uh, splash page. Uh, what jumps out looking at the original art here is possibly the, the screens. So so it's brown, and I think that's the remnants of glue. So so I think the what probably happened here was the an original the this underneath is is how it was originally produced in black on white paint. Yeah, a stat was taken, the the, the colors reversed, negative, and then yeah, it was right. pasted uh, pasted on as, as the negative. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what happened, and yeah, I may even have one or both of those stats okay. somewhere. And then uh, in the middle panel, right, something that that nowadays is very easy to do in Photoshop, but in the 60s and 70s and 80s and, uh, in comics or, or in printing, I should say, was an extra step. If you wanted, if you if you're the as the inker, if you wanted to tell the colorist where a color was going to meet another color and not have a black line between them as a natural barrier, you'd use a red pen to draw that shape or that outline or that barrier. And then in the, in the gutter, you, you, this is a note from the inker to the colorist, remove red lines. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when, when this artwork gets photographed, that red pen is going to show up as black, just like all the black ink around it. And it's going to print as black in the final comic, unless uh, the red lines are removed in the, in the copy in the, in the next step or two. Uh, and, and you yes, see this in a, Sorry, and you see this in a lot of original art and covers. It's not. It's not that uncommon. It's not that uncommon. Yeah. So these red lines were there to kind of signal to the colorist that uh, this is meant to be a reflection of his of Destro's monitors. So, so in panel two, you can see there's a square monitor and a and a kind of circular one next to it. And so, so in in his in his the reflection in his mask, we've got a sort of square one central and then a circular one to the right. But uh, unfortunately, this was, I think, coloring, color, obviously color, coloring mistake number three that, that we know of in the uh, in this particular issue uh, where that that reflection wasn't created. And uh, and yeah, apparently just wasn't picked. picked some of the, these mistakes just weren't picked up just because of the pace of producing the book that, that they maybe weren't spotted or weren't able to be. Yeah, spread. you see in the right margin, there's a, a little note that says colorist, note, glow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hama, Hama has been specific. He has said in that middle panel, you're supposed to see some of the lettering mm -hmm. reflected. Uh, oh, margin. really? Even yeah. the lettering? Uh, and I, I mean, based on sort of how, how small the lettering is and how sort of bad printing was in 1984 and how hard it would be with a brush, mm for George Rousseau's the colorist to sort of uh, like even indicate, I mean, you, you just get like a couple wiggly lines of green, uh, but Hama has said like, yes, you're supposed to see the letters like backwards in Destro's uh, mask. And, and looking at it now, I think what we're supposed to see is a couple squiggly green lines mm -hmm. in those 
four, one, two, three, four, five monitor shaped um, uh, red red lasso squares. Um, can you talk about the? Uh, uh, can we can we both read uh, what's in the bright margin on the bottom two panels, and then also can you tell us about the white splotches in the final panel? Don't, Don't ink, ink this, this panel. Call Milty. <laughs> well, don't ink this. Uh, uh, don't ink this panel. Call uh, Call Milty. That's that's Hama's handwriting. Huh? We should ask him. And then on the on the left, it's in in blue pencil or something. It says letter use computer type. Letter use computer type. So talking yeah. about the uh, yeah. Please, please let her look like computer lettering. Oh, so, uh, uh, that's above, and then what you said is below. What's uh, so? What are these two uh, white smudges on the bottom? That's, that's a good question. Um, did uh, did something sure. get? Did something get stuck to the art and get pulled off? Is this a tear, or is this like whiteout that got? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling it, and it feels more like a tear than than white out. So I don't know what was there. Um, right. so something. I'm so going to maybe... make a guess. I think possibly the panel above it might have come loose and then settled uh, on this panel here, and mm -hmm. then when it was removed, it might have taken away some of uh, some of that, some of the paper. This mm. very last panel. That's okay. a very good guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Gene, you said if you have the, if you have the. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I have, I, I want to say I have uh, maybe the fourth panel somewhere. I, I don't have it handy. I, it'll be in an envelope stuck in a closet somewhere. But yeah, um, yeah. if I, if I, if think I come gonna, across it, I will take a look at the back and see, see if I'm going to change. I'm going to change my guess, actually. I think that this might be from a different panel. Uh, I'm going to do a super zoom. Uh, because whoa, all the way in, there is a. I don't, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I was, I was beginning oh, to wonder: could this be like wait. a circular balloon? Because it looks like there. Oh, that's that looks like a word. That of, looks like a word balloon. Word balloon. Yeah. Hot damn, Mark! Wow, wow. Oh, okay. So, so is so that I stuck wonder, on the surface? That looks like ink. There's no shadow. That's drawn. That is stuck. Uh, that is a paste paste up. So that looks like a part of a paste up word balloon. It's really not, okay. Not Sorry. Drawn. Yeah. Sorry, I stand corrected. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's my guess. Um, Rick Parker, who lettered the first page, because mm -hmm. there is a title and there are credits, um, or someone. Uh, okay. So uh, here's my <laughs> guess. Uh, Rick Parker letters this page because it's got the the type on the screens. Mm -hmm. And in the scramble, I'm sorry, Rick Parker. I love your lettering. I'm not trying to say uh, you made a mistake. I'm just, I'm just saying, of any of the letterers who touched this issue, you're the one who's credited. So someone, I think someone lettered this page, and maybe sort of got their wires crossed for a moment, and maybe the type that is on the screen got put into a word balloon and stuck right. to this panel. And then someone said, wait, 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 no, 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 that's not dialogue. That goes, and that's the wrong panel anyway. Let me. Uh, let me uh, yank this off. But at the same time, if it got yanked off, uh, then this splotch would have been either, then the splotch would have been corrected right on this art. This splotch would not mm. have been corrected uh, on a copy unless the mistake was caught 
like one or two steps later when the art had already been photographed. Mm -hmm. Huh. Or, or, or possibly just, you know, when art is stored together, word balloons come loose. It might belong to belong to another comic and just happen to land on this page, get yeah. stuck on, got pulled off at some, some point. Um, yeah. We'll never know. <laughs> that, that, that would be a great, great question for for Larry or uh, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> if Parker's still around. Uh, he is still or, he is still around. He, uh, uh, he just got a, a a gorgeous computer font a couple years like two uh, years ago made out of his handwriting. Okay. Um, I think he I think he writes and draws though uh, as as blogging. He doesn't uh, and he lettered. Uh, he lettered some of uh, all-time America comics a couple years ago, which was that um, was that like retro thing that Fantagraphics published, that, like Benjamin Mara and I think Ed Piscor did. Anyway, it was supposed to look like comics, Marvel comics from the '80s, and so they hired a Marvel letterer. Uh, let's let's look at the no, next. No, page. Sorry, is, okay. is is Rick? Is this the same Rick Parker that famously drew? The Marvel adaptation of Beavis and Butthead in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, must be, mustn't it? Yeah. Yes, he, he, um, yes, he, he also draws. He also cartoons, okay. and okay. he, he did, he did some, uh, he did some one-panel gag strips uh, in the Mark Bull, bullpen bulletins page in the yeah, late 80s and early 90s. I should say, uh, sorry, I should say, uh, Rick Parker is not credited. There is no credited letterer uh, on page one. But these letters, uh, the the credits on page one to me look like Rick Parker's handwriting. But I could be wrong. Uh, Okie dokie. Let's uh, move on. So here we go. Lovely splash. Oh, half half splash of uh, Snake Eyes coming uh, coming down on his parachute and landing on the top of the the Silent Castle. There's uh, there's a close up of that uh, top uh, top half of the page. Yeah, what's striking is, you know, all of the detail in the blacks, uh, in in terms of how it was uh, how it was inked, and I guess trying to give the impression of that those that white being left behind to to be potentially stars, um, but uh, and some of that comes out on the on the finished page you can you can see, but mm -hmm. but certainly not not as much as what's on what's on the uh, original board. So. Um... Mar Marvel had this experimental streak in the eighties and, you know, it gets us art like Bill Sienkiewicz on the new mutants. And there are, there are some storytelling and art ticks that uh, I feel like in my reading of Marvel history, editor in chief, Jim Shooter would have pushed back and said, you know, like, okay, next time this has to be more traditional. And, this the background of this i'm not saying i haven't spoken to jim shooter i'm not saying jim shooter did or didn't like this panel but i look at this panel and i think this feels like the kind of panel that an editor after the fact would look at and say oh we really should have had the ink go all the way to the bottom uh border that this is evocative of movement and it does feel a little bit like uh speed lines and it also does suggest stars um, but at the same time, and I, I like this panel. At the same time, I can I feel like traditional the traditional side of Marvel in the '80s would look at this panel and say, like, no, 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 make that just completely black. Right. Um, and then I'm really struck yeah. by the fourth panel of how uh, gorgeous 
the inking is on the snake that it is so clearly shiny, not just metal, but shiny metal. I guess it's in all, th all three of those panels on the bottom, but particularly that, that last thing. It's shiny metal and it is underlit, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you look at Colossus in a bunch of X-Men comics and it's like, okay, he's shiny, but there isn't always an indication in the inking of where the shadow is such that we know where the direction of the light source. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely an underlit metal snake. <laughs> and uh, inspired a statue. Uh -oh. Wow. This is from uh, Diamonds um, a good few years ago now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had it on my wall. My one has fallen off the wall a couple of times, so it's uh, somewhat <laughs> <laughs> somewhat repaired. But, um, but yeah, uh, a panel, the panel that inspired uh, the statue. Next up, we're back in the dungeon with, uh, with Scarlet making her escape with a bobby pin. Um you know, the economy of the backgrounds uh, again there, but the the storytelling doing uh, doing so much mm -hmm. uh, before we cutting back to to Snake Eyes making his way uh, way way down from the the top of the tower. And, um, this the yeah. layout of this page, three panels, uh, a wide panel, and three panels also recalls a previous page or two that we've seen, and I can't help but see the Arashikage symbol in a page like this if i squint and turn my head a little side oh. <laughs> like i don't oh, yes. I wow okay. i absolutely do not think that hama was doing that on purpose mm -hmm. uh, i absolutely do not think there is any connection what i'm saying is uh i see a similarity and you know you could have like 15 people it's like okay 15 people i need you to lay out a seven panel page for me and like more than half of them would would like settle on something like this and they're not all like embedding it with gi joe meaning uh, also at the time that hama is laying out this page i don't think he's invented the symbol yet because that mm. comes a couple pages later right. and he is making this up as he goes mm. but i look at this page and the previous one and i think you know that sort of looks like something yeah <laughs> But I appreciate your I appreciate your ooh and ah when I said that. <laughs> we could also we can also make out a lot more in the uh, in the uh, original art here compared to the compared to the printed page. I mean, just sort of you know the the printing technologies of the time and uh, you know some of the detail the fine detail getting slightly lost. I'm thinking particularly about snake eyes on on the left. Um, you know, beautifully inked to to stand out against from the the night sky, mm -hmm. and and you know some of some of that subtlety slightly lost in as it appears on the printed page. Okay, okay we're we saw uh, Destro with his uh, chess uh, chess set uh, just by his window earlier, so we know we're back in. Destro's study, or whatever he wants to call it, <laughs> and looking at uh, his his chess set, the the people, the players are on the board are some of the key key characters. The ones uh, to the side are, are the ones that have recently died in the issue or are presumed to be dead. And at this point, uh, Baroness had been involved in an explosion, so uh, is presumed by Destro to actually be uh, to be dead. Um, you can see a lot of uh, Larry's fingerprints on on the look of Destro in, in in this. He sort of draws draws Destro slightly differently to to other artists, and then finishing with some uh, 
beautifully rendered uh, feet <laughs> and th- that distinctive um, dungeon lid, uh, meaning that we're immediately brought back to to where we now are back in the uh, back in the scene. Now, is... now was a, a an actual model or chess set ever created in this manner? I'm not familiar with one, but not I, as a I hear that Larry. No. I Sorry. heard that Larry lobbied for it, but, uh, <laughs> but it didn't happen. Um, uh, I, I, I imagine a, a fan or two has made this, but there's yeah. no, there's nothing official. Okay, um, this is another. Uh, Why hasn't this happened, Hasbro? Please come <laughs> or, or, uh, Who made who made the uh, who made the the Snake Eyes statue from the previous page? Was that Diamond? Uh, did you I say? think that was Diamonds. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Diamond. It's a GI Joe set. Um, I mean, you know, the problem with it with a GI Joe set is like, who do you make the pawn for the Joes? Like, I don't want, I don't want green guys. Green trust. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, looking at this page, uh, the first panel, like, okay, so this is this is one of those this is one of those rules that um, you can break if you're talented or confident, or if you're still learning and you break it, it sometimes gets you into trouble. So Destro is centered here. And you know, in in film composition and in illustration composition and in comics, you know, there's something called the rule of thirds, which is if you have a rectangular composition, the sort of most interesting places are one third of the way across, two thirds of the way across, one third of the way down, two thirds of the way down. And like all rules, this rule is meant to be broken. When my students break it, I will say, "Don't break this yet. You're still learning." <laughs> um, when a, you know when a professional who's like drawn a couple dozen comics and has like been published in magazines puts the bad guy centered in the top panel and puts the center line of the chess set on the center line of the panel and then it continues to swoop down and bisect the baroness in the second panel and there is you know the the, the panels two and uh, one, two, three, four, two and four, they're not any kind of symmetry, right? It's like I've got a hand on a chess set and then I've got a big head looking down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in terms of like the sort of emotional, in terms of like time and the pause of a, like taking a breath, in terms of the amount of story told, they they match. <clears throat> and then on the bottom panel, Mark, can you scroll down a little more? Um, thank you. Uh, you know, that center line somewhat lines up, just about lines up with the front edge of uh, Storm Shadows. I mean, what, you're, what you really have is Storm Shadow on the right half of that panel and not Storm Shadow, the, where he's going or where he's checking on the left half of that panel. So, um, you know, again, like drawing characters and objects straight on, uh, when, you're, when you do it in eighth grade, it's because you can't draw three-point perspective. When you do it at this level, it's because you are half saving time and half like making visually interesting decisions. Wow. Uh, let's see what we got next. Storm Shadow is opening up the lid uh, to the dungeon to look in and is caught unawares by um, by Scarlet. Him, a ninja, you know. Surely not such a thing isn't possible. Who knows? Who knows uh, why he was opening it up? You know, uh, possibly. Uh, you know, as a retcon, we know that he's basically a good guy, right? So, uh, don't know. 
Um, yeah. So you just to put a point on this, Mark, you're saying maybe he's going to let her go or see how she's doing. Could be. Could be. I mean, at this point, he's a villain, so maybe we're you know trying, projecting some nefarious uh, kind of. Um, he's going to go interrogate. I think when yeah, I first read this, I wasn't asking not, questions. Not too, not not too many issues later, uh, we've got the trial of Cobra Commander's son Billy, mm-hmm. and and um, Storm Shadow breaks him out. Right, so um, who knows? Um, I think when I first read this as a kid, uh, I wasn't asking any questions, so I took it at face value. Like Storm Shadow's checking on Scarlet. Yes, and mm-hmm. the the previous panel of just his feet uh, asks a bit of a question, right? Which is sort of of the audience, like, "How is Scarlet doing?" It's like, let's let's check in on the bobby pin. Like, has she, <laughs> has she gotten out, or uh, did you know? Did she drown? Um, this page uh, that these six panels are all the same size suggests the rhythm with which you're supposed to read this page, which is like, duh, 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 duh. It can be faster, but it's that even keel where, you know, in comics, uh, if you have smaller panels, this sort, of, this sort of like emphatic suggestion is that you read them faster, that we take them in and then we move on to the next panel. And if you have a very big panel, the reader stops to take it all in Right. If you turn the page and there's a full page, if you turn the page and there's a double page splash, you stop and you take a breath and you look around. And if you have a lot of smaller panels, it's like editing in a, in a film, right? If you have if you have shots that take up less time, your cuts are happening more off, often and you're increasing mm-hmm. the rhythm of your of your edit of your scene. And this is an action scene, right? So there's a bigger panel of Destro just looking at the chess set and going, hmm. And there's a bigger panel of Storm Shadow's feet in front of the the uh, the manhole cover, right? And then like da 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 wham. Got great consistency in the storytelling as well because yeah. Scarlet has got this, you know, swollen uh, eye, um, and and you know, just one of those things that's easy to lose track of throughout the course of a, a story. But you know, it's it's you know, it's there every time we come back to. Her. And that last panel, just that swoop of the uh, the lid coming down on on Storm Shadow, just so <laughs> evocative. Um, you know, such a great sense of action and sort of really clobbering him and his his open fingers as it connects. Ah! <laughs> uh, and Magnus is uh, joining the the live live stream. Uh, good to have you on board, Magnus. Uh, if if you're not aware, uh, guys, Magnus uh, has made an incredible, incredible uh, Lego recreation oh. of the Silent uh, Castle. So wow. please, please uh, do a Google, pop it up, pop up, um, have a, have a look. I just um, want to point out um, one thing uh, in the second to last and the third to last panel here: the lines on Scarlet's gloves uh, on her, uh-huh. her her left hand on this bottom panel which is the seam where you sew the top half of a glove to the bottom half of the glove. And that's what says that this is fabric. She's wearing a glove as opposed to, you know, the shorthand for like ninja bare hand fingernails. So that's, that's the detail more yep, than the, yep, um, yep, yep. more than the bandaid and the black eye. That's the detail here. I love in, in panels uh, four like, and five. Four. Ah. Excellent. Good. Uh, 
yeah, and uh, there. Yeah, that the, yeah, the one you're circling right now, particularly. Yeah, good, good, uh, good observation. Because because without those kind of little markers, uh, you could quite easily, particularly in the black and white, sort of think, you know, is that is that skin, mm -hmm. uh, and potentially lead to to coloring mistakes. Uh, next page up we're back at the top of uh, the battlements we know that because we can you know tell those uh sort of very typical sandcastle-esque uh battle you know up and downs the, the the right angles forming the the battlements as as snake eyes has taken out uh, a cobra trooper with uh, the night vision goggles um you know lovely little details there he's laid his uzi uh, on to one side and uh, and his rope to to another um and and as the troopers sort of bear down on him you know he's moving quick with the with the dagger to to take the two of them out and you know the the speed lines there that are in employed you know really suggesting um this you know pace of of movement for mm -hmm. snake eyes to to take these two guys out All right, so the 1982 Snake Eyes toy has a dagger or a knife on his uh, left suspender, right? So that the one that we'd see on the right. And so, okay, his chest. Yes, yes. So, uh, is are we are we cheating this a little bit that like he he has that dagger from just sort of somewhere on his costume or? <laughs> Or is it, is it definitely from that, it, uh, from that, his left suspender? Have, oh, I don't know. It must have been shown somewhere. I'm going to flick that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't spot it. I can't spot oh, it. On well, here, here it would be, be under, when he's parachuting in, it would be under the. Yeah, under yeah, the parachute guess, on his front. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess it's the. Yeah, I mean, I if, guess it's, it's, if it's there on the toy. Yeah. Deus Ex Dagger. <laughs> <laughs> dagger x machina yeah and a slap uh you know atomic slap as uh, he brings down the the guy who doesn't get the dagger and a great little detail that I've, i noticed in the in the uh, in the original art here is just that kind of i don't know would you call it a webbing or something the material on, on the inside of the of the helmet you know that allows it to, to sit plush and it's not just metal against uh, right. head um great just great little touch just really sort of bringing it to life and sort of you know making it into more more of a real world kind of uh and of uh another another inking choice technique from another era in these final two panels snake eyes is moving so fast uh none of the normal black of his costume is inked as spot blacks it's all mm -hmm. internal speed lines mm -hmm. as if he's you know quicksilver or the flash like that's that's i don't i don't mean this like he's magic he's a mutant like lightning i mean sort of generically like this is a special effect and uh george rousseau's uh colors snake eyes in those two panels with a light blue not with the darker blue with some magenta in it of the okay. the, the earlier panels on this page to sort of add to this effect of, you know, you almost can't see him. You almost see through him. He's moving so fast. And again, another another aspect where, you know, some of that fine detail is just lost a little bit in the reproduction here. So 
um, you know, the fine details of Snake Eyes's mask, the little slits on his uh, uh, just below his goggles and so on, just uh, not quite able to be uh, reproduced. We'll see it a bit later on, um, Tim. I was just going to note that while, while Snake Eyes is drawn quite black in this particular panel that we're looking at the moment, across the book, there's a fair few panels where, where he is drawn very open for the, uh, the colorist to, to fill in uh, the, the detail uh, right. in their stage. As for the uh, as for that color panel you just zoomed in on, where we're losing the detail, um, it does depend on the printed comic book you have. I don't mean like reprint versus first print. I mean right. of the you know three hundred thousand copies of issue twenty one <laughs> out there. The the plastic printing plate that strikes the newsprint um, that wears out over time. Sometimes it's right. slightly out of alignment. There's a little bit more ink on it. So everyone's copy is going to be a little bit different. And to overgeneralize someone's copy that comes from the beginning of the print run versus someone's copy that comes at the end of the print run uh, is going to look different. So if you're really interested in seeing how well this particular panel reproduces, Mark, you should buy several more copies of issue 21. <laughs> the, the first, so cheap at the moment as well. The, the as, first printing. Note, uh, uh, in this, well, in the 30th anniversary reproduction with the more modern techniques, can you tell, see that it sort of it has reproduced yeah. a lot more clearly yeah. um, the, the original. Gene, do you this have a from that version? Gene, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite page or a favorite moment? Uh, like many, I, I, it's got to be the. Uh, let me see here. Either the last page or the second to last page. I mean, the way in the. I mean, should we talk about it now or when we when we get there? Should we? Should we get to we, it? Let's when we get to it. Let's go a little faster so that okay, we do get sure. there. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Because uh, okay. I could I could spend an hour on every page. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So next up, we've got uh, Destro leading the troops to to the, to the battlement. Some great uh, short cutting here with the troops zigzagging their way up again. Just hints at you know all of these tops of heads. We've got a good sense of place because of these. The uh, sandcastle battlements, so we know exactly where they're going. We don't need it labelled out. And uh, this panel here in the in the middle is is almost an exact mirror of one that we saw earlier on in the in the story, um, with uh, the uh, the you know the, the that particular you know, shot, but with a uh, the added inclusion of a <laughs> somewhat surprised Cobra Trooper making his way past <laughs> past right. the window, uh, you know. With uh, with the 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 Uzi Snake Eyes is Uzi following uh, following after, um, which is which sets up which sets up such a I mean there's there's so many levels of bad assery here <laughs> with Snake Eyes Billy needs to get rescued but um, uh, I, I know he can do this mission without a Uzi but he loses his Uzi so he's gonna have to do this mission without a Uzi that's that's a cool you know problem to give him. Uh, halfway Uzi's through Uzi's. Yeah, I've just I've zoomed in on this last panel again, just an example of some of that fine detail, uh, at least on this version, Tim, <laughs> not quite <laughs> making its way through. And you can you can, you know, really see uh, some of the tools coming into play. We've got a little bit of white out there in the in the bottom sort of contributing to some of the, the sheen in uh, Snake Eyes's uh, uh, visor. Um, 
what's up next uh okay back at uh yeah back just above the the dungeon storm shadow has made his way out the the manhole covers open he's got his uh his ninja friends hanging out they're coming down and sort of uh, we're able to, to to tell them apart because they've got different weaponry: the sword, the sai, the uh, the sickle, and the ball and, and chain. There are different um, uh, doorway to the to the one at the top of the stairs because this is squared off. It's not the the one at the the, the stairs immediately above the the dungeon, so it's a different part of the the castle. I remember when I read um, this issue the first time, I thought. Because I was reading issues out of order, and I, I don't know how aware I was of the Red Ninjas, and I thought, oh, these three guys are going to beat up Storm Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned the page. Like, oh, 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 they're they're his trainees. Trainees on the job training. Yeah, they've got a and they got their special hand. They've got their special uh, kind of hand. Yeah, I love that. That pa- pa- panel three because it's very evocative of that scene in. Uh... I think it was 1981, 82, the movie Revenge of the Ninja, when uh, Shoko Sugi's character and uh, Arthur, I forget the actor's last name, are about to square off in their final rooftop battle. They do all these ninja hand signs, and I'm pretty sure that's that's one of them that they do. So I, <laughs> I think that is actually uh, done with some degree of, of, of research and accuracy. Absolutely, yeah. It's okay, also next... it's also cool. It's also just cool for you know an, a nine year old. Yeah, do of course you know. Of course, the ninjas are gonna to, you know be upside down like bats as like they're bats, meditating, yeah. ready, ready, getting into you know for the next thing. <laughs> um, something else okay. that you know has fallen out of favor. Uh, all these speed lines on the previous page when the ninjas jump down mm-hmm. on this page, you know, is um. Scarlet's swinging the chain, you know, like <coughs> artists tend not to draw speed lines in comics uh, as much as they used to. And in some cases at all. Mm-hmm. So it's, Scar- it's Scarlet sort of uh, skulking around trying to make her escape. She comes across the two Cobra troopers who have been carrying this Cobra claw since about page two of the story <laughs> um where, where are they going uh i think um, i think part of the story is that uh the like freight elevator is broken uh which makes all of snake eyes is like getting from the top to the middle to the bottom that much more impressive can't can you just imagine on, on page two you know where cover commander is pointing like take it away you know, like, remember, the freight elevator is broken. <laughs> Take the claw to sub-level 15 by hand. You two. Or he just said, "Take it away," and they're like, "Where's away?" I don't know. We'll keep on. We'll keep on carrying this thing around the building until we figure out. Uh, <laughs> can you can you zoom in on oh. the right side of panel one? I've always wondered what what is this? Okay, okay, it's some communications. It's a video game. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Pac Man. It's just cool. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. futuristicy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, Snake Eyes hands on his hips. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We should we should license this panel as a shirt. 
just this panel, and then under it, just the three letters H U H with a period. And it's not there's no word. It's it's not a word balloon. He's not saying it aloud because he he can't talk. It's just an emotional state. Huh. <laughs> I came all this way. Uh, so again, speed lines so suggestive. Uh, in, internal speed lines. I like that description, uh, Tim. Um, and then, you know, that action whop against his head like that. And, you know, we can skip skip past this in the in the printed page, but here, that head isn't drawn at all. It's just, <laughs> just an explosive uh, impact that, that's created by the, the lack of uh, the, the inks. Um, that's, yeah fleshed out there it's just uh so kinetic and then uh the the manhole cover is brought down on the red ninja off panel uh leaving the level of violence purely to our own imagination and uh and it's in, worse uh, in yeah it's worse in, that the, way. In, the era, in the era of comic code um you know you can't show a red ninja's skull disintegrating <laughs> with bits of brain flying off so we just have to uh just have to imagine uh, that particular aspect um uh let's play a quick game uh can you, each of you think of the sound effect uh for that final panel that if you were lettering this comic uh that you would want oh. to put uh, on this panel okay blood <laughs> how, how do you spell that S P L U D D. Okay, Gene. Uh, I'm just gonna go with a flat out splat. Splat with okay S P L A T. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I'm, I'm seeing I'm I'm hearing less liquid and I'm I'm it's just more the impact of the I'm gonna call it concrete um manhole mm-hmm, cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me it's it's a whack. Whack. W H A C K. Okay. Yes, it's a classic. My, my, my runner-up pick was Thwam. Thwam. Okay. Thwam. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting, yeah, the mixed mixture of the you know, impact on the on the body, but also the the concrete on the on that hard floor. Hmm. You know what? You know, su- suggestions. Your what are your suggestions? Put, <laughs> put them in the comments below. You know, I, I, I think. Subscribe. Uh, uh, you know, people have turned uh, this this issue into you know like a, a stop motion uh, uh, animation with with toys or with motion graphics of these uh, panels. Um, there's this you know uh, there's this Lego model of the of the Silent Castle. Um, I think what I want to do is I I think I want to just add sound effects to this story. <laughs> all, like, not necessary. Uh, and it might ruin the issue, but as sort of an artistic exercise in both writing and also lettering uh, and editorializing, really, because I'm also looking at that third to last panel. And I think that's a walk or a wom. <laughs> walk would be W-O-K. Um, and then after that, well, can, we can just add thought bubbles to all the snow <laughs> panels, right? Because oh. it's missing that as well, so... You know uh, what? Uh, just <laughs> just the cover. Just the cover. Uh, um, the word, the word, his thought balloon is. <laughs> okay. What's what we got next? So uh, with with uh, with the ninja um, crushed underneath the manhole cover, uh, Snake Eyes is working his way up the stairs, 
And in a moment, I believe, was inspired by uh, Indiana Jones against that swordsman <laughs> in the market. He's mm -hmm. chucking a grenade, which says grenade on it to avoid any doubt uh, <laughs> with that glorious, glorious look in the eyes from that ninja as it lands against his side and he's kind of realizing what is about to to happen um i we if this were a regular issue we might have a, an error detected here because apparently and this is again sourcing from mark bellamo's um commentary that uh, this has got uh, m1a grenade against it and apparently it's an m26 lemon grenade so called mm -hmm. because it is sort of size slight colorization of a lemon lemon and it doesn't have the kind same sort of ridges as as the pineapple type grenades tim anything to gene anything to add no other than that is definitely one of my top five favorite panels in the in the book this uh these last two panels Slash history here. of comics <laughs> <laughs> right um you know gi joe as a comic um it's it's uh it's it's a it's it's pretty often fun um it's occasionally very funny <laughs> and mm. this panel is very funny <laughs> yeah. and um and in that way it's unusual and next next up oh here we go uh that was oh i was i was I noticed as I was looking in the detail that we've got in the the goggles of uh, uh, of Snake Eyes's mask here. We in we have a reflection of the uh, the Red Ninja, and I think we can work. We can see that in the original art. It is it is there. Here we go. But uh, in you know in the in the black and white and looking at the the detail, it's uh, much more uh, obvious. Uh, next up, what a bold top panel <laughs> it's just <laughs> the lines suggesting the explosion and uh and those size flying up flying away with that that the brilliant effect of of just sort of create capturing that 3d impact of that um massive burst of of light by just you know illuminating the shadow on the one side of the of the side in panel uh, two then... there are uh pieces of of rock or a wall and the or ninja <laughs> well well yeah i mean i i think i think based on not just the comics code as sort of the like rules for what kind of you know gore or violence or blood you can show but just sort of the like the shorthand of this story like no the ninja's been evaporated mm. there is nothing left of the ninja and and we're just going to move on like, you know, this, this, I mean, you know, like Hama is showing us only what we need to see. It's like, well, we saw an explosion. So Snake Eyes is going to keep going up those stairs. Uh, this, this big panel here where he's in the doorway and the other ninja and Storm Shadow are on, uh, on the other sides of him. I can imagine a, a, a thought balloon here with, uh, with Ha. Huh? <laughs> can you, Gene, can you, can you work out what it says just to the right of Storm Shadow? It's oh. quite faded. Right. Is it pointing out which one's in red and which one's oh, in maybe. white? It is it's just too faded. Yeah, I, I can't make that out. Maybe it says 
No blood splatter on wall behind <laughs> behind snake eyes. Oh yes, you're right. No, no, I've zoomed right in. There's storm shadow. Oh, it says there's storm shadow. shadow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Storm shadow on the right, as per your guess. Cool. I think uh, I. One of those things where using digital tools might even be easier than just looking at the actual object <laughs> right. when it's that zoomed in. I think with a with a really good magnifying glass, you might be able to and the and the right light, you probably can work it out. If uh, uh, if 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 our viewers are sort of curious why you know it's like this gets it's like isn't it obvious which is the red ninja and which is storm shadow? Like, shouldn't the colorist know? Um, you know, the the colorist is, uh, I think, very rarely looking at the script. Mm -hmm. I think they're usually just coloring what's in front of them. And the colorist will is going to rely on the penciler to point out key stuff that they're likely to miss. Because the colorist is not rushing, but, you know, if there's any deadline crunch, it, it's, you know, it's like, well, if the writer took too long or the penciler took too long, or in this case, if Hasbro took too long to approve something and get back to it, you know, it's like it all comes, it all gets squeezed on the colorist and the letterer. And so yeah. if you're coloring, I don't know, three pages a day, five pages a day, um, you're doing it very quickly and you're not necessarily like reading the story and asking yourself logical questions. Like if you see something on fire, you know, okay, orange and yellow. Um, but if you just see a bunch of ninjas, you might... Just, even though the guy's got um, bare arms, right? You might just, yeah. uh, in a rush, color both these ninjas red. Right. And so, in a lot of in a lot of original art, you know, it's it's like if you're on a submarine or an airplane, it's like all red or all green because that's the lighting. But it's sometimes like, this is Wolverine. Like, okay, <laughs> that one's Wolverine. Okay. <laughs> and also, in this instance, the uh, the colorist will will literally be rushing as well. To be fair. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They probably need a little bit more, uh, more help than they might otherwise, uh, otherwise need, uh, and um, some great uh, acting as well from the from the characters. Um, you know, uh, Larry describes sort of acting out the motions of, of these action sequences, so he can he can think about you know where where their their body will be going and and where in this case Storm Shadow's had a downstroke and he so so he needs to then swing back up from the the ground to to get uh, get to snake eyes and uh, in this sequence we're beginning to to sort of see the the hints of uh, the damage that this is having on their their costumes mm -hmm. so there's the uh, the rip there on on snake eyes's costume and uh, in this panel here uh, storm shadows um, bandages are beginning beginning to come come loose and uh sort of then sort of tracking out over the next few panels and pages uh is sort of progressively becoming uh yeah more un unraveled can um, i point something out can you zoom in to panel four mark okay yep um, so hama came and talked at my school uh eight or so years ago and he walked us through uh sorry can you go higher the the second to last panel sorry thanks um and he he like did his reading of silent interlude uh to my students as a uh as as a lecture in you know comic storytelling and he said something which is totally fascinating to me and that is that um 
I, I, I can't remember who he learned this from. I don't think it's Wally Wood. I, it might be Krigstein, but uh, forgive me. Uh, but Hama, when he lays out, um, he starts, he draws, <laughs> he draws the head, hands, and feet of a character. Mm-hmm. And then he works out the anatomy. Like he, then he draws the torso, the legs and the arms and mm-hmm. the neck to connect them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. only do that if you know anatomy, right? If you actually can draw like realistic people in perspective, like in contorted poses. Um, but, you know, like a lot of the, a, a lot of people draw and the way that I would teach my students to draw is you start with a line of action, a gesture, you start with a line that represents the spine or the idea, the force, the vector of the pose. Maybe you start with the head and then you build out from there, from the spine, uh, the major body masses, head, torso, pelvis, then the arms and legs, then the hands and feet. And I look at these three panels right here and it is apparent to me that Hama drew first head, hands, and feet. And he said, the reason that he does this is that then he knows he can fit everything in because otherwise if you draw the head and like a swoosh for what the body's doing, then you might like run out of space and suddenly you need to make your panel wider or taller. And if you're saying like, well, Tim, Snake Eyes' head is cropped a little bit in in that middle panel. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. That's not a mistake or a problem, right? Same thing as how his fingers are slightly cropped at the top of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, look at these first two panels, how like this is, Hama as 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 an artist who's drawing a panel has really good instincts and that he fits in these three poses, like just enough to get the sense of this red ninja collapsing on the floor awkwardly, but you can still like completely uh, compose completely clearly behind two other guys that are fighting, right? And then in the Mm. second panel, and Mm. then in the third panel, this really, here's this B word again, this really bold, gorgeous composition, this really strong composition, these two horizontal, these rectangles from the doorway, but also the panel itself, but then the echo from uh, uh, under Storm Shadow's arm, like the framing he creates around Snake Eyes, uh, that we see enough of the sword um, and that there's just enough of this pose and the acting in like half a percent of Storm Shadow's face and skin and body Right? Like all we get is him just looking one way with his eyebrow furrowed and his hand up, like, ah, I'm gonna get him. <laughs> um these these three panels, uh, I think they're becoming some of my favorite panels in all of comics. Wow. As as I've thought about this issue over the years. You know, uh, his, I, I, his... I, I... oh sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and here's an example of of where Snake Eyes has just been left very open. Uh, in, mm. in mostly in, in white apart from the boots um yeah i was just going to mm-hmm. call that out just because it was something that i'd mentioned uh, earlier on sorry mm-hmm. gene pick up no i was going to say that you know i i have looked at this art countless times i've read the story countless times and i just feel like from this conversation i, I i'm seeing things that i've never seen before and i i really appreciate it i mean i i'm definitely getting a lot out of this conversation oh, wonderful yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Go, go, uh, yes, thank you. Going back to that first panel, right? Like, it, okay, so if 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 we all grabbed a pencil, uh, I sorry, I mean the the second the second panel of the page. That's right. So if we all grabbed a pencil and we got like ten of our friends and like five professional artists that we knew, 
and had everyone draw a single panel with three ninjas fighting, right? But it, it, it sort of has this like, well, someone's collapsing and someone's like bracing and someone's assaulting from on high. A lot of the solutions would be uh, great. Uh, and some of the solutions would be amazing and sublime and some of them would be terrible. Um, but like the balance here, it's like, okay, the negative space between Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes' leg, just enough for the Red Ninja's weapon. And then the negative space above Storm, uh, Storm Shadows, his right uh, calf mm. and below his right calf, right? Perfectly fits the sickle, mm -hmm. right? And like, uh, <laughs> so, so good. Uh, <laughs> good good <laughs> fighting, good yeah. fight choreography, uh, good visual storytelling from panel to panel, mm -hmm. uh, good compositions within a panel. And there's even a progression from high to low, right? Like sea snake eyes high in the first panel, a little bit lower in the second panel, and then lowest in the third panel. So there's even a diagonal line that it is subtly leading you down to him running. And like again, that's not a that's that's not necessarily I think people who are really good at comics, I think they tend not to plan that. I think it just happens from practice um, and uh, confidence and um just an innate sense of like shaping a page dividing a page dividing a panel and sense of place here again bottom of the very bottom panel snake eyes is now at the bottom of the that's uh, right the back of the castle i think these win longer windows are meant to mirror the ones on on the front we know we're at the back because we've got the radar emplacement and gun emplacement here facing a facing away so we're uh, at the back new location where he's uh hailing a ride <laughs> for his uh his escape Lots I, I, be of, I uh, believe i believe the thought balloon is huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry typical so in uh, this uh right upper right panel with uh with snake eyes uh there's actually I don't know if you want to turn the focus on the okay. camera, but on the back of yeah, the page. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I don't <laughs> know if he drew the front first and then traced in back here, or if he drew it in 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 the in the reverse on the back and used that to create the uh -huh. silhouette on the front. Huh. So he could have maybe drawn this and then put it on a light box and gone over it on the Yeah. Yeah, that's my guess. Nice. Why that page is worth even more now. <laughs> Mark, can you go yeah, back? Interesting. To the... Interesting. I just wonder I wonder why. I wonder why. Mark, can you go back to the pages? Oh sorry. Yep, 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 yep. Uh here we go. These two uh, panels. Yeah, lots... Uh I've also um you know, Hama is so affiliated with G.I. Joe and, and other series that he's written and the number of comics that he's drawn is very low compared to the number of comics that he's uh, written. And it's in these two panels of Scarlet that I can really see his style. Mm -hmm. um, it's like just how, how, how he draws. Put in that close up of Scarlet yeah, there, yeah. just such a such a great panel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, her her eye is sort of gradually beginning to heal up a little bit. She's able to to open it. Uh, I guess in part in because of that moment of shock where she's seeing uh, Snake Eyes and you know Storm Shadow raising his sword ready to, to throw it. Do you think so? Do you guys think that uh, in that third panel, Storm, uh, Snake Eyes doesn't see Storm Shadow, right? It doesn't look like it. Does it doesn't it? look like it. Okay. No. So her her calling out to him, that's that's like look out and gasp mm. and oh my gosh. Yeah. But that's very much like look out. Yeah. Um, I love the sort of desperation is too strong, but the 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 anger of Storm Shadow's pose in that third panel. Mm. You know, one one hand is on the other side of the doorway, one leg is on the other side. He's sort of staggering through. Right, but he's got that sword. There's such menace. Okay. Storm Shadow throws his sword, and uh, Snake Eyes reaches around Scarlet to to grab it and then throw it uh, behind him. It was uh, something that it was a, a, a sequence that was um, homaged in uh, an issue of Action Force where mm. they, they did something very uh, similar. Um, yeah. So, so great, this page great, great and, 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 the and, and the final page that follows are my my two favorites in the book. I mean, I I, I love, uh, I mean the what I mean a the technique that uh, Snake Eyes he grabs the blade, flips it over. Uh, I mean, you see that uh, kind of you know uh, sandwiching your hands around a, a sharp blade in the ninja movies mm-hmm. of the era. So that was very cool to me. But also the fact that Scarlet would potentially sacrifice herself to save Snake Eyes here, um, and and then, yeah, as it turns out, he he saves her from from the blade. Uh, I, it just all all works for me. Yeah, she's resigned to it, isn't it? In this first panel, that's yeah. the bottom left hand panel. You can see in her face, she's got her eyes closed, clenched, ready to to take the blade. Does mm-hmm. um, um, is there? Yeah, is that middle panel a stat? No, this is all all drawn art. It's uh, not 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 only not a stat. It's it's not a paste up or anything. It's... What's uh, tell us about those six arrows? Move panel up. Have they have they cut out this page at all and sort of just moved moved up ah, the panel on that. the back yeah, of yeah, the yeah. page? So does it's it look not like a paste up? But they have glue uh, taped in as you, uh, you can see. They've taped in a mm-hmm. that panel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe it was. It was composed a little bit lower, and then they uh-huh. wanted it to line up with the first panel. So that they just raised it out sense. and yeah. moved yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I looks... think that I think that would have to do with like how much of the sword do we want to see, or are we like cropping mm-hmm. the bottom mm-hmm. of the sword, or it's mm-hmm. like do we want the eye, eye levels to match up with the previous panel? Yeah, then looks the, like the third uh, panel is a little uh, bit. Yeah, because in the third panel, their eye level, their eye lines are lower because we need the headroom to show the sword. Right, right. Yeah, it looks like, all right, here we go, the pen. It was The line was probably originally there. You can kind of see the remnants of a blue line at the bottom of the border, and it's kind of been lifted up to give us yeah a tiny bit more in, in, that, uh, in that panel. And I guess in, in, in panel three, I, I, I've always wondered... What is Storm Shadow thinking here? I mean, obviously, he's not intending to to kill Scarlet here, but I, I mean, does he feel 
remorse or i, I mean I, I i don't know what is going on in his head um yeah obviously he's quite surprised but uh, it's i've always wondered what what exactly his thoughts are at that that moment in time looks like perhaps like it's almost like he's surprised by her coming down and it's like that that blade was meant for snake eyes and you know mm-hmm. shock horror i'm going i'm you know i'm gonna kill a girl something mm-hmm. along those lines and and yet as mark said earlier right storm shadow is on his way to becoming a good guy, good guy yeah and uh but also hama makes us up as he goes mm-hmm. so that panel mm-hmm. may only this this panel of him looking panel three mm-hmm. may only contain the reaction and the meaning that it needs to for a later issue when Hama decides it it meant something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause you could you could take this panel and a couple issues later Storm Shadow's like, that sword was meant for you, Snake Eyes, but I would have gladly taken your friend. But you <laughs> stop the sword. Next time I'll take you both out. Right? Like you know like like Hama uses the term retcon you know he says and I think like when he's at a convention and he answers this question uh even though like sort of everyone knows what retcon means I feel like with G.I. Joe it's actually a little confusing he's like well the whole thing was written as retcon right it's like wait what and what he's saying is (laughs) since I made it up as I went along um if Storm Shadow did something for example good early on that may have just been because I didn't know what to do at that moment, or I wanted to create an opportunity for later, or I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it's like, oh, well, he was starting to be a good guy. So that's where that starts. <laughs> it's like, that's retroactive continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like I've, be- I've heard, because I've heard the, the, the question, you know, why did, why did Scarlet, you know, have that um, plaster on her face at the beginning of the of the story and he's like well you know i don't know maybe there was a scuffle bef- beforehand but also if she's got that on her face maybe i can do something with that later on mm-hmm. if i put something there i can make something of it later on not necessarily knowing what that thing meant at the time uh you know sort of the re- you know the re- the kind of making it up as i go along mm-hmm. kind of way of uh, retconning things yeah, and and I think retro retconning or retroactive continuity as a term for the GI Joe comic can be confusing because we sort of think of that as like more sci-fi or time travel or like mutants, right? It's like you know, it's like okay, well, Wolverine didn't have um, claws until like the Weapon X story when he was given metal on his bones and claws and so any flashback before that he didn't have claws and then once in 2001 you say that he always had bone claws then you either ignore all the stories which larry hama wrote one of right where where uh uh um logan and ben Grimm are in world war ii and wolverine has the like storm shadow version two like mm-hmm. ninja claws right so you either <laughs> you either ignore those stories and you sort of pretend they didn't happen or you like mm-hmm. you retconned it away. It's like, well, Wolverine didn't know he had bone claws because he'd never been like backed into a corner. Uh, or like, well, his like you'd write some story where like, oh yeah, my hands used to itch and I didn't know why. It's like, that's <laughs> retcon. Yeah. And that's not that's not like Marty McFly saving his mom after all in the second right. movie or something. That's mm-hmm. like it's just like, you know, writing forwards and and explaining things after the fact. Um, before uh, I was talking about like sometimes the the boldest uh, angle is a straight 
is a straight view or a profile. Mm -hmm. And these first two panels here are a good example of that. You know, like if you have if you have a high schooler and they're like trying to learn how to draw and you're like, okay, draw me a ninja throwing a sword. They're probably mm -hmm. gonna want to draw this, but then they know that this is boring and not exciting. So they're gonna draw something at an angle. But actually this is the boldest composition to throw a sword at someone. Perfect profile, these two panels. And here we are, the final page, the grand conclusion. I, we should uh, just the give reveal. the mic. We should just give the mic to Gene. Sorry, Mark, <laughs> sorry, Mark. You should continue your. You should no, finish no, 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 your no, no, sentence, no. and then Gene should just talk. No, you'll never know. You'll never know, Tim. I'm, I'm sorry. Gene. <laughs> Tell us about this page. Well, it's the grand grand reveal. Uh, I mean, it's all. Uh, I mean. Uh, I, I, I just love the, you know, the three panels. This, the the third panel is actually also taped in, mm. um, and you know when 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 I was reading this, when we were all reading this for the first time, uh, I, I mean there was no reason. I mean there's really no clues in the the rest of the story that the the two are linked in any manner. And then wow, I mean this is how it ends. The last two panels, boom boom tattoo tattoo and uh <laughs> and then it ends and yeah it, it just leaves you wanting to know more which which is set up later and i think issues 26 7 or 7 8 and that's right yeah um yeah yeah it's uh and, and and i love the uh kind of the defiant pose on storm shadow at the end and in, in that middle panel the, the great close-up and uh, the perspective there. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a beautiful page. Yeah, that, that final panel of, of Storm Shadow as well, that looks so simple, but there's so much that you can try and, you know, read into it in terms of, you know, what's that pose, that expression mean, and, you know, with, with the tattoos reveal as, as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of sets up so many ideas in the, in the reader's mind. Previously, I referred to matching eye lines or sort of a descending angle, it's like snake eyes from one panel to the next to the next. And here, it's not the eye lines that line up. It's the tattoo that lines up. Mm. They're about mm. the same size on these two panels, and they are on a matching horizontal. So mm. so there's this another added layer of, of meaning that connects them. Um, so the, uh, so that line on the bottom where Storm Shadow's ankles are, so was this, was this just drawn like a little too low on the page and they're like, wait, let's cut it out and move it up a centimeter. So it like mm -hmm, fits mm -hmm. at the right top and bottom. Is that what it is? I'm not sure. I mean, there are, you see those arrows at the bottom. Um, and on the, on the side it says... Move panel up. Move panel up. Yeah. yeah, we've got we've got a blue line just sort of cutting across Storm Shadow's feet. So, I think that must have been where the panel originally finished. Uh, yeah, to, right. To right. cut it, to cut it out and allow because probably on the original page he extended it out and the feet were you know down there or something. Down, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, this that is makes sense. This is the kind of thing where if you're drawing nowadays on the computer, you just lasso it and move mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. or 
you draw it and then you're like, oh, this hand is a little too big. I need to make this hand 10% smaller. Well, I'm gonna scan the page tomorrow and send it to my editor. I'll make that small adjustment in Photoshop and forever the hand will just be a little too big on the original art. But you know, at Marvel in the 80s, this kind of stuff, you might like make a stat of the panel and like shrink it by 20% because your word balloon is going to cover up too much or you might need to flop something left, right, or you might need to, in this case, just move the art and not not make any kind of copy. Um, I had a go for it. Couple, I had a couple of other little sort of Easter egg nuggets here. So um, we've got the, the I Ching being used uh, here, sort of the re reveal and uh, that that hexagram tattoo was pre previously used on uh, Lee Kung the Thunderer um, in uh, the Iron Fist stories that um, that Larry had drawn uh, not too uh, not too long previous to to this, um, and this particular hexagram very similar to the one uh, used in in Iron Fist um, uh, hexagram 63 before completion chosen because it was easy to remember is the, <laughs> is the answer that was uh, given and my other little easter egg was uh, this fractal exp explosion happening in that that first panel where um, uh, the the claw sort of launches away from the pad and it's this kind of unusual square blocky explosion mm -hmm. and apparently um larry was inspired by um the work that uh, mike uh, golden had recently done in star wars mm. issue 38 which was published august uh, 1980 which kind of had this same kind of blocky fractal explosion effect being uh, being used um again source mark bellamo for that uh, particular observation and then uh, Arthur Adams uses that blocky explosion a lot oh, yeah. in uh, Longshot and uh, New Mutants mm -hmm. after this. Um, so I hadn't put that together before. Mm -hmm. the, uh, in this first panel, um, behind the claw, it's, it's purple or it's, it's lavender. And I read that as sky. And then there's white. Do you read that as, as one of the mountains? Ooh. Because I've, I've always just actually not really seen it as what it is. I've just treated it as a, like just a, a balance yeah. for, mm. for a storm shadow on the right side of the page, just to, so the page doesn't hang one way or the other. And the, if it's a coloring mistake, if it's supposed to be green, cause it was on the first page, this, I don't have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. um, in the back of my mind, it sort of feels like snow cause we are in mountains, but uh, mm. A, it's nighttime and B, um, do you, uh, have you guys sort of, thought about that that white in the first panel not not before mm, but looking no. at it now i'm thinking like just an inverted silhouette that this is probably meant to be the mountain behind it and um yeah and stylistically just to make those fine fractal explosions pop yeah that works so much better against white than it white would black, yeah right mm -hmm. you know, or, or another color yeah yeah um one of the so, reasons so, why yeah. so you know snake eyes is costume now on action figures and in movies uh, and this comes from the Devil's Due era. Snake Eyes costume now has the symbol on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that because I can see why Hasbro is into it because otherwise it's a little harder to copyright the visual of the character because it's just a guy in black, even if you've got some signifiers like, you know, the visor or a certain mm -hmm. arrangement of gear. 
uh, on his torso. But um, I feel like you wouldn't, it's like, even in the newest issue of the comic, right? Like in the flashback, uh, Storm Shadow is covering the tattoo. He's not advertising. And I feel like in any G.I. Joe story, uh, Snake Eyes shows up and we should learn later at the end of the first movie, at the at the in halfway through the second movie in the second season, whatever it is, any GI Joe story that starts and continues, we should unravel Storm uh, Snake Eyes's backstory. And if from the very beginning, this thing is on his shoulder, everyone's going to go, that must mean something. Yeah. And I want like moviegoers who see these live action movies to experience some version of how readers experienced it, where mm-hmm. he's just in black, he doesn't talk. And over time, it doesn't have to happen with the ninja. It doesn't have to happen on a castle. Uh, but over time, things get revealed. And yeah. so uh, I don't. I actually don't ever like seeing that symbol mm-hmm. on his shoulder, even when it's really well drawn by a wonderful cover artist. <laughs> Very good. So that was the last page, and uh, you know, all of the issue, all of the whole issue covered in in somewhat of a, a detail. Sort of, uh, yeah, great to. To, to plow through i hope you uh got something out of that gene and i hope uh audience enjoyed it as well on their yeah. multiple watches of course <laughs> hey and i i as i mentioned kind of as we were setting this up i, I do have a kind of a, a thematically similar uh similar bonus page from gi joe yearbook number three uh, another wordless story uh, Tim, I don't know if you've got your page handy, but yes, you, you talk, I'll grab it. I picked this up uh, last year. This is actually, aside from the issue 21, uh, this is actually the only other piece of G.I. Joe art that I own. I actually own some kind of uh, memorabilia from the 60s and, as I mentioned, a bunch of the new uh, toys from the classified line and whatnot but in terms of original art this is actually the only other piece that i own and uh i thought it made a nice uh companion piece to the uh mm-hmm. to the 21 so it's happy to buy this last year yeah it's a wonderful page uh yeah that recently companion piece yeah uh, last year that recently <laughs> Tim is furiously yes. looking through uh, his I mean, portfolio. I, I put it. I put it on my blog a couple of years ago, but I guess that's not that's not in the spirit of um, of our our nice fans uh, watching this live. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay. Well, uh, Tim's look having a, a look. Oh, here at, it is. Here did it you is. have any? Oh. Okay. Uh, which one did I put on? This one. Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> Oh, nice. This is at the beginning of the, the story uh, where Scarlet is parachuting down mm-hmm. into the high Sierras where Storm Shadow is staying at um, Snake Eyes's, the remnants of his cabin. On the back, some ink. Ink? Wow. Very nice. Some stuff. Um, so, Jeans, any final thoughts from you as we as we begin to wrap up? Uh, no, just I, I mean I, I enjoyed being here. And as I said, this was uh, this was very illuminating, even to somebody who has poured over this material countless times over the last uh, thirty odd 
30 odd years. So, uh, no, this, this has been great. Thank you for and joining us, uh, and sharing your, your assets and your reflections and your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, so this is where we wrap up and say where people can find us. So Tim, where can people find you? Uh, my store is hub comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, hubcomics.com, And my GI Joe blog is a real American Good. And if we've got new listeners, um, then you can find out more about the show and about us, uh, over at talking joe.co.uk. Uh, Gene, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, I would say mostly two places. Uh, first of all, I'm on Comic Art Fans under Gene P. Uh, if you look up, uh, you know, Larry Hama, G.I. Joe 21 original art, uh, that should bring you <laughs> somewhere in my to my gallery. And I also have a uh, hobby-focused Instagram account. It's collections underscore GP. Um, I would say it's about probably 75% trading cards, 25% comics, original art, uh, role-playing games, books, uh, and kind of miscellaneous collectibles because I uh, collect a lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, th those two places. Brilliant. Okay, so I, Tim, were you about to say something? Thinking of the jingle that I'm going to sing in a minute. <laughs> yes because so when all up or... is said no, no, you, and you, done you say our website no, 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 no. i say our website do i okay well you can find us at talkingjoe.co.uk but remember when, when all said uh, when it's all said and done uh, uh, it's scrolling uh, down the bottom, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, Nobody beats talking, talking Joe, Joe, a real a American, American podcast. podcast, and knowing the <laughs> With... battle. <laughs> and now we know all about issue 21 for sure. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, all laters. <laughs>